My God, why Philip? Good job. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Good job. Oh man, it feels like a victory. You don't know how. Yeah, it is like a victory. Thanks a lot. Great job. Great job. Never stop believing, guys. No. Never, never, never. Hello race fans and welcome back to Motorsport 101. We're on to episode 66 and um, well, last week was a thing, wasn't it? Let's see if we can escape in the world of motorsport. Oh wait, we're talking about Formula 1 here. So good luck getting away from politics here. And it was just about as crazy. Well, put it this way. Only Formula One can have its best race and its worst race at the same time. So good thing that we're along to deconstruct it for you. Well, two thirds of it are as well. That seems to be a running theme at the moment. Dre's off, sat behind a bookies, gnashing pencils um, because he can't give us his hot takes. But guess what? Well, we've got the super sub back. The, the man who knows everything there is to know about Japanese motorsport. So we're up to full strength. So let's introduce the team to you as they are present tonight. Uh, I, myself, am Adam Johnson, and it's a, it's a great honor to welcome regular of the show and uh, forerunner for the uh, Democratic presidential nomination 2020, Ryan Eric King. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though I won't be age 35 by 2020, I'm sure the Constitution will change greatly enough to allow me to run in 2020. <laughs> Look... Your country just elected a meme as president. At this point, there's no rules. No rules. No rules. At, cool. <laughs> at, the, at this point, anything is possible. And um, the Minister for Foreign Affairs for his cabinet uh, in 2020, primarily with uh, American-Japan relations, RJ O'Connell, how are you doing? Hey, y'all. Um, uh, so I I may or may not have like gotten the worst kind of sleep imaginable over a 12-hour period. I, I contemplated getting like day drunk, just like the Brazilian Grand Prix did. <laughs> Um, mm. just to power myself through this podcast. Like I, 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 like I stuck with it. Like this, this race was the goofiest damn shit that I have seen all year. <laughs> and yeah, given the week that we just had, did anyone expect anything else? This was Let's actually one here. of the more positive things that happened this weekend. I know. And that says a lot. That says a lot. But anyway, before we get there, we have some business to handle have some routine in amongst the chaos what we do have is uh plugs for our social media because that's very important um you can of course lock into the show if you are listening to us for the first time welcome along good to have you along for the ride if you are one of the regulars thank you so much for sticking with us how you've not run off and hit yet i have no idea um so if you are Locked in once again. If you're one of our Patreon backers, we love you very much. You can support us if you want to on Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, understand, though, if, you can't, if, you, if you're not able to do that, you can also support us just by sharing this thing far and wide by simple old... Uh, uh, um, what's the phrase? Ah, word of mouth. There it is. <laughs> That's the phrase. Does your brain ever just troll you and go... start, guys. <laughs> Words aren't even happening now. Words are happening. Fuck 2016. Jesus Christ. Um, I'm just going to blame this year for that. Because reasons. Because reasons. Um, you, can, you can find us on social media. Uh, Twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101. Uh, on Facebook as well. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. That's probably where most of Dre's hot takes are at the moment. Um, 
You can find us across there. We're not on Instagram yet because we don't really need to be. Uh, and as I say, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, as for locking into the podcast, you can find us, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, on the uh, the official Xbox podcast app. So if you're playing some, no, Battlefield 1. Or want Forza some Horizon 3. Or, or indeed Forza Horizon 3. If you, if you don't want some nice surf music, if you want some podcasts while you're cruising across Australia... Here you go. There it is. It's it's all possible for you. And of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, which is probably the one of the simplest ways to do so. You'll get the episodes delivered straight to your inbox, I suppose, every Friday when they drop. And of course, if you're a Patreon backer, one of the things we offer over there, as well as T-shirts that are going out very soon, is early access to the show. So if you just can't wait, if you just need to vent, I feel like at this point, we're almost like a motorsport therapy session. You can get it a couple of days early, which is really, really cool. So... Important business out of the way. Let's move before we talk about that thing over there. No, not that thing. The other, the, the F1 thing. Let's do some Keeping It 101. Keeping It 101, and this time on Keeping It 101, the last time RJ was on the show, he talks about Japanese motorsport. This time around, he's going to talk some more about Japanese motorsport, because last time he was on, it was the Super Formula finale. This time around, RJ, it was the Super GT finale, and me and King, you actually convinced me and King to watch it as well, and I'm glad you did. It was good. It was This was good racing. It was fantastic. This is, this is just another great example of the kind of racing that Super GT delivers on a race-to-race basis, and I'm not just saying that because I love the series. I'm saying that because I freaking love the series. <laughs> so let's get down into what happened this weekend. We had the very first... Two race final weekend of the year at Twin Ring Mategi. It was the first time we ever had two races to decide the championship going into the final weekend of the season. We had the top 14 teams in both GT500 and GT300 that were still mathematically eligible. And by the time the final race started, we had the top seven teams in GT500 and five of the top sits in GT300 that still had a shot to take the title in the final race. So basically what you're saying is up yours, NASCAR. Yeah, it's like we can we can we can actually organically, well, somewhat organically because of success, balance and balance of performance. But that's fine. They still produce better, better uh, actual racing. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I think that's the big deal, though, isn't it? On a serious point, that is actually to help the racing on the track. I have said before, would F1 ever accept balance of performance as a thing to make like just for better on track racing? But I think the, the problem we've all had with the NASCAR playoffs, which it's what they're calling them now, is that they just sort of, they're like, oh, hype and the stuff and the elimination. It's like, yeah, but they don't actually change much on track. Right. If if the racing is poor, the racing's still poor. It's just sometimes people will just have even worse judgment because spot in the final four. We're going to Homestead, we're punching our ticket. I'm also (laughs) punching someone else in the face because we just wiped them out on the final lap for 15th. Problems for Brian Francis' regime. (laughs) (laughs) that's the best best Rick Allen impression I've heard anyway we're getting off topic yeah right I genuinely I uh, unfortunately I uh, just completely well I say I slept through my alarm because the thing is it was on different time zones for you guys in America it was in the evening wasn't it it was like 11 o'clock at night wasn't it yeah it it was that night it was just when I came home from work (laughs) 
Yeah, it was hey, just good after timing. I it was just before I came home from work. Like I was I was like legitimately heated that I missed the starts of both Saturday's and Sunday's race as well as qualifying. Um the Saturday race saw Condo Racing's Forum Engineering GTR of Daiki Sasaki and Masataki Yanagata win their second race of the year, uh going fuel only on their stop. They double stinted their full set of Yokohama tires for the second time this year to win a race it's the best it's the best season that they've ever had in super gt and it, it's kind of crazy to think of masahiko kondo who is both a a very popular musician and also a accomplished racing driver term team principal it'd be like if john bon jovi uh was also like a racing driver at some level and also a team owner um, and so I was John Bon Jovi was an IMSA driver. Right, exactly. <laughs> and in the GT 300 class in Saturday, Audi team Hitotsuyama, Tomonobu Fuji and Richard Lyons took the win. It was Audi's first win in Super GT in four years. Damn. Which, if you think about their success in customer racing in GT3 and like Block Pan, where they're just unstoppable, where they've had yeah. success in IMSA, it's amazing to think that this is only the second time the Audi R8 GT3 has ever won a race in this championship. And it was also the first win for the Hitatsuyama racing family in almost 20 years of not entirely nonstop participation. But it was the but 20 years they've been a part of the series, and this was finally the first time they won a race, which set up the final race of the season with Let's Team Sard and their Denso Let's RCF. If you played the Gran Turismo games with the Denso Toyota Supra, this is basically the descendant of that car in the lead in the GT500 championship. All they had to do was finish ahead of the Nismo GTR of Sugio Matsuda and Ronnie Kinarelli who were going for an unprecedented third straight championship in GT500 together to basically win the championship. And that's basically what they did. They had almost a perfect weekend. They took pole position and second place on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Kohei Hirate set a pole lap. Um, and I want to bring this for like reference. So let's rewind it to 2011 and the IndyCar race at the Twin Ming Rotegi Road Course. Scott Nixon set a poll time of 1 minute 38.392 seconds. Kohei Hirate's poll lap in a in a in a silhouette GT car was a 136.491. It was nearly two seconds, nearly two whole seconds quicker than an Indy car. A last generation Indy car nonetheless, but still two seconds quicker than a single seater. Can we just talk about this for a second? Because I think this is something that gets uh, lost. And, and whenever I've watched Super GT, because I've kind of caught it off and on in the last few years, and this is why I'm so full of praise for RJ's blog, Super GT World, that you should totally go and read. Um, there's, it, It's a great series with a sort of cult following across the rest of the world because it's almost like a very well-kept secret that sort of isn't one because everyone has driven the Super GT cars at least once in the Gran Turismo games. But it's kind of hard to follow the series outside of Japan. But, there, I mean, there's, there's a couple the guys who upload all the races on YouTube in Japanese, which is, I kind of enjoy that because it f means I finally get to put my Japanese GCSE to some use. Um, but in the last couple of years, uh, Nismo TV in partnership with Radio Le Mans has provided live streamed uh, commentary of it with, uh, and we've got to give props to uh, Johnny Palmer and Sam Collins, who are the duo that handle the commentary over there. Very knowledgeable, very entertaining. 
were, you know, sitting in a studio in the early hours of, of Saturday and Sunday mornings here in the UK, handling, handling the coverage and doing a great job with it. Sam Collins is an absolute knowledge base and is also aware of his resemblance to Moss from the IT crowd, and he plays off that, so he's caught by <laughs> me. Um, seriously, he was making jokes about it. But uh, this series, to me, what I like about it, RJ, and whenever I've dropped into the series, and I was reminded of it again this weekend, there's a real, it feels to me, maybe this is me kind of being distant from it, and, you know, someone more involved with the series, knows what's going on, knows the shenanigans and the politics or whatever. But to me, it feels quite refreshing. It feels quite honest. It feels quite you know, just about a sort of pure racing, uh, you know, in the sense of the series have always made it clear that, hey, you can do what you want in terms of you, there is an amount of flexibility with tyres and with aero and things like that, but you are going to get ballasted if you start dominating. So if you pull a Mercedes and if you're OP as fuck, we will ballast you back down to contention, motherfucker. So I've always appreciated that everyone sort of knows the level, the playing field they're fighting on and just sort of gets on with it. And the, the racing itself is really good. The cars are amazing. Like, these GC500 cars are effectively DTM cars. They're, they're running no, to they're, a sort of... they're faster than DTM yeah, cars. Yeah, they're faster like, than the well, DTM I say, uh, Yeah, that was what I was about to say. They're not... They are faster than DTM. And in fact, you know, they uh, mentioned a few times on Radio Le Mans about pitching a class one united race at Le Mans as like a support race but the Germans don't want anything to do with it because the Japanese super GT cars will kick their asses till they're wearing buttocks like hats right BMW um, is like the only one of the three DTM manufacturers that has ever in like actually made actual inclinations to wanting this unified race to happen mm. um, and I mean like uh, and the Here's the here's the, the key stat for you. You've just heard these cars are faster around Mategi than a last gen Indy car. These cars are also lapping on a similar pace to a non hybrid LMP1 car. Notice I said LMP1, not two, one. not GTE. <laughs> right. This is LMP1 right. levels. I mean, the- granted, not the hybrids, but not even to be somewhere in that ballpark. That's insane. That means they can't be that far off F1 pace. Right. It's it's at the point now where the modern day GT500 cars who have a four way tire war. So you have an open tire four way. War. Yes, you have Bridgestone, Michelin, Yokohama and Dunlop all involved. Um, you have a three way manufacturer rivalry, an actual honest to God manufacturer rivalry, something that NASCAR fans of a golden age would love to have back in their sport. <laughs> um they have the they have it all, and the only cars, the only racing sports cars in the world that are faster at Fuji Speedway than a modern day Super GT GT500 car are the Porsche 919 Hybrid, the Toyota TSO50, and the Audi R18 e-tron Quattro. That's it. That's ridiculous. That's what that is. And also, what what improves this as well? You've got the GT500 cars. We can harp on about them all day. They're brilliant. Um, and in fact, just before I, I talk about the GT300 class, GT500 class, a lot of aero, a lot of downforce. We've talked about this all year in F1 with dirty air and NASCAR, IndyCar. You know, every series has a problem with dirty air. To, uh, from what I watched, it doesn't appear Super GT has that big of an issue. Now, I know they're trying to cut some downforce next year, so obviously there has to be some reason for that. But any reason why you think they still have such good racing Without that, do you think it's down to the tire war, the ballasting, the strategies in play, or is it something else? There's something to that as well. Watching that race, to me, it seemed like the amount of ground effects on the car kind of makes up for any topside downforce they have. 
Yeah, and yeah, also, I mean, they're they're also racing in traffic with other GT three hundred cars, which really mixes things up. For twenty seventeen, they're introducing a whole new set of GT five hundred cars. It's not a hard reset, but they are cutting the downforce by twenty five percent by reducing the front the front splitter drastically reducing the rear diffuser. Yeah. Um, so most of your arrow gains are going to be made along the front and rear bumpers and along the side certs. And also they're going to take on a look that's more resemblant to the production cars that they're based off of, which is always a plus. And the racing is still good with the downforce that they had. So imagine, and if NASCAR is any precedent with all the downforce cuts they made in Sprint Cup, uh, if if the same thing happens in Super GT, where they are making the downforce cuts mostly for safety reasons at some of their smaller circuits like Okayama and Sugo, because they're almost too fast to race at some of those smaller tracks, um, the racing's going to be even better in all honesty. And, and that's remarkable because the racing itself is already very good. And this is only half the story as well, because you've got the GT300 class, which has a lovely variety to it. You have effectively three different types of car. It's it's <clears throat> in the same class. You know, we're, we're so hung up in the rest of sports car racing about, you know, specifications of car and they have to give their own class. And they have to do all this, you know. Um, but in this class, they have three different types of car, FIA GT3 type cars, um, older style gt300 pre-built because it used to be all custom built cars for this class from in japan um which share a lot with the production car if i'm right and also a type of car with which uses something called the mother chassis which is like a sort of uh or is it a a monocoque yes it's it's a certain kind of base monocoque like a spec monocoque that you then build the rest of the car on top of and there's a there's a lotus of aura to that spec yes which, which just looks bananas it looks wonderful it looks bananas and when it's and when it's on its game it's absolutely one of the quickest cars and of course because they have a strictly pro-am driver lineup it didn't score any points this year (laughs) um but yes gt300 is where you see some of the more some of the crazier concepts like a ford gt with a with an old cosworth v10 f1 engine (laughs) <laughs> Where you see a 1980s style Toyota Sprinter Trueno built to like early 2000s specifications. Hey, Where don't you forget see to mention mo- the Prius. The Prius. <laughs> yes, the to- sorry, the Toyota Prius, the mid-engine Toyota Prius with its hybrid powertrain based off the Toyota LMP1 car. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. Is your jaw on the floor yet? Should be. It really should be. Like. This is this is a series that really does deserve your time, and I'm going to try and follow it more. Like especially where I'm losing faith in, or just losing a lot of desire for like traditional series that I follow a lot. Like well, mainly NASCAR to be honest with you. Um, I will try and follow it a lot more next year, especially if me and RJ's podcast plan comes together. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, That's wink, totally nudge, not nudge. a hint. Oh, so we'll um, wrap up. We'll wrap up the 2016 season with both champions winning the final races of the season. In GT500, it is the Denso Lexus Team Star team with Kohei Hirate and Heki Kovalainen winning the GT500 championship. It's Team Star's first GT500 title in their 22-year history in the series. They have been around longer than any of the Toyota slash Lexus teams in the GT500 contingent. And they have finally won their first title. You know, they were the only team to lose the GT500 championship on a tie break that went to the third tie break of the season on countback. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they finally break through with their first win in four years. 
and their first title. Hanky Kovalainen wins his first championship in his first race in one fell swoop. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, Hanky Kovalainen's won a Formula One Grand Prix. That should have been a given. And to that I say, well, that's kind of bollocks because this is a tough (laughs) field full of really, really top teams and drivers that are all... like I was surprised by how many drivers in this in in GT500 that have open wheel singles like serious single seater experience. Yes, yeah, there's there's some serious names down there. This is incredible, incredible talent down there. Like guys, guys who could have made in an alternate like timeline could have made it elsewhere in the world if not in the top echelons. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And there are some guys who might still have a chance at Formula One uh, somewhere down the road. Um, mm. Mm. Right. Um, so for Nismo, they failed to parlay their great start to the season into their third consecutive title. But I still want to make the argument that Sugio Matsuda and Ronnie Kinarelli are the best unit with Nismo that the sport has ever seen. Matsuda is the all time wins leader with 18 wins. Kinarelli is tied for the most wins with a by a foreign born driver. And he is also the series only four time GT 500 champion. So they are. So even losing this. Pretty incredible. Yes. So even in just falling to third in the championship with a pretty dreadful race weekend, I would still make the argument that they're the best team that we've ever seen. And they've still got plenty of life left. They could still win another. Question. You just said Matsuda is the all-time wins uh, record holder on 18. Yes. Um, uh, yes. Like, it, I, I, and I say that because that surely proves to you how competitive Super GT is. Right. Like, the all-time wins record is, like, th- like that's not even 20 races. Right. Like, that... Like in Formula One, we're used to like, oh, Michael Schumacher's 91, Hamilton's down 52, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s for that sort of thing. But that to me, it's like smaller margins to become a legend in the series. You know what I mean? Right. And I want to make this point because at the start of the season, we had a three-way tie atop the all-time wins list. It started with Matsuda, Satoshi Motoyama in the S-Road Mola GTR, and Yuji Tachikawa in the Zent Saramoa RCF tied at 16 wins apiece. Matsuda won the first two races of the season. He's now at 18. Tachikawa won the Suzuka 1000. He's now at 17. And Motoyama did not winning races this year, but he's still third all-time with 16 victories. So the top three in the sport are still active, and by all accounts, they still have plenty of racing left in them at this level, and they are separated by just two wins atop the all-time wins list. So what we're really saying here is that this series is still creating a legacy as it's going on, and it has one already. It has great history, and yet it's st- you're seeing history being made right in front of you. And these cars just... I think, King, you made the comment that these cars just feel and look so racy. They feel yeah. so maneuverable. They just glide and move around so well. But they still have that wow, these things are pretty tough to control feel to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they, have they a real... still have, like, they're on a knife edge when they're in breaking yeah. zones, turning in the corners. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And it's it's going to be crazy to see what the downforce cuts are going to do at corners like 130R at Suzuka, <laughs> oh, where they were still already <laughs> hanging on for dear life. Um, so Man. some more some more history in GT500, but it's not good. Um, Honda had a bad year. How bad was Honda's year? Well, in this final race of the season, uh, Honda finished 11th through 15th, the bottom five places in the order, at a (laughs) Honda-owned circuit to clinch their first winless season in Super GT's top class. 
since 1997 oh, when they had oh, only man. two cars and the program was basically just built up from the ground up that year. It was oh, man. it was bad. They had a couple of podium finishes earlier in the year. They had pole position at Suzuka, which you were thinking, oh, my goodness, Surly, if they're going to win it, they might as well be at Suzuka. That's another hot owned track. And it just falls to shambles. And this race was really symbolic of the year that they had. Um, Honda built the original NSX concept GT around a hybrid powertrain, which was kind of heavy and made the car uh it gave it reliability issues and it was also very imbalanced and heavy. <laughs> Where have we heard that before with Honda and hybrid engines? Right. So Honda decided to drop the hybrid system thinking, right, we have a lighter car and a more balanced package. We're more we're gonna be more balanced and we're gonna have uh we're gonna have more success now that we dropped this stupid thing. As it turns out, it made the car even more imbalanced. It wow. highlighted Honda's shortage of horsepower with their internal combustion engine. They were still having reliability issues, particularly with the brakes. Um, and as a result, Honda go winless in 2016 uh, on the 20th anniversary of their GT500 debut. Man, it, that's like that's when, when you think rough, yeah. when you think McLaren Honda or the HPD IndyCar program are bad, like it's across all of Honda's motorsports divisions. The only exception at the moment is their British Touring Car Championship program. They've got they've won back to back championships over and there. Also, Mark they Mark know how to has, do touring cars. Mark, Mark has put Honda on his back. And Mark Marcus, yeah, Mark Marcus is like the freaking architect. Yeah. He's pulling a Seth Rollins over here. <laughs> Um, just to wrap up, uh, GT 300 as well. We had a, we had a very emotional title crowning with the victory, uh, Viva C team to team Suchia in their mother chassis, Toyota 86 takes the title with a victory in the final race of the season. Uh, the big storyline going into this race for that team was the retirement of Takeshi Suchia. He has been driving him for 21 seasons across both categories of the sport, um, he's had some close calls with championships, uh, but he had never been able to win a title until this season when he's going to step down from full-time driving next year to focus on the engineering and management side of his family's business. It's unlikely that he will ever race full-time with another organization again, and he gets to walk away as the champion for the first time ever in his career it's also wow. yes that was a that was a huge moment he gets to celebrate with his father team principal haruo suchia and also with his co-driver takamitsu matsui who in my opinion might be the most improved driver in the series like he stepped up his performance big time since the start of the summer series in july he took two pole positions he drove the closing stint to both of their victories uh, all within the last three races, like he's uh, he's a superb talent and it's just his second year in the series. Um, first title for a mother chassis car, the one with the carbon fiber monocoque, uh, the one you build around uh, with the with the generic badge Nissan engine. And it's incredible to see how much that program has evolved as well, considering at the start of 2015, its first full season, uh, they were they were struggling just to even finish races and by the start of 2016, they'd already won races. And now the mother chassis, an affordable solution and alternative to FIA GT3 has been vindicated with its first championship in only its second full season of service. So that was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, that uh, and we have good news. 
We have a fairy tale story in this week and this year. So that's reason enough to follow more Super GT. Um, I'm going to largely say, we, uh, besides, we need all the time we can get. Guys, we need to do some like, I need to do some reps quick. I need to warm up. Listen to the muscles. Drop my phone. Because it's time to limber up. It's time to talk about <clears throat> that thing. That thing that happened. The Brazilian Grand Prix. moment you've probably all been waiting for. Some with dread, some with excitement, others with total indifference. But here is the segment about that thing that happened last week that wasn't the other thing. This is our segment on the Brazilian Grand Prix, which as I said at the top of the show, is a classic example of Formula One, basically in a nutshell. A series that can have both its best race and its worst race be the same thing. <laughs> and also end up having a scenario where there was no race at all, potentially rain shortened, potentially half points, then none of those things happened, then a strategy gamble ended up crowning one of the most thrilling, exciting drives ever by one of the sport's most unlikable drivers. God, I love and hate this series in equal measure sometimes. Blimey, this was a hard work. So let's take this one from the top. And let's start out fairly simply. I say simply, but let's start out with the, the topic that we've all kind of wanted to address, uh, which is uh, not necessarily the fact that Lewis Hamilton took his first ever victory uh, in Brazil. Uh, considering how much everyone had been hyping up, the fact he'd never won in Brazil, you knew that was exactly who was, what he was going to do this weekend. Um, so he, he won the Brazilian Grand Prix pretty easily, led the whole thing, which is about the smoothest race anyone had uh, in Interlagos. Uh, had a comfortable pace advantage. Well, he was up just a, under a tenth of a second or just over a tenth of a second on Nico Rosberg in qualifying. In the mm. race, it was worlds apart. Hamilton had much more of a grip on the car, looked to be much better. The question of how much Rosberg was just saving it, knowing that as long as he finished second, it was still in his hands. We don't know, but he certainly was driving the more risk-averse race. Uh, and Hamilton just seemed to have more pace to burn. But... Um, according to some think pieces and some media today... Uh, Hamilton winning easily over Rosberg in the rain. So why is he not going to win the championship that he deserves, that he earned, that the, the Rosberg's about to fluke his way into because of the reasons of the engines and the stuff and the... All of you shut up. Yeah, because this is not a, play this is not a playoff system. People forget that the first half of the year still happens. Exactly. And what I'm going to do here is something of a pipe bomb, folks. Have you never heard the phrase or the, the entire methodology of championship racing? You never understood how the Premier League works or indeed Formula One works. Any series, any league which awards points for victories and less or no points for losses, generally the system works out that luck evens out over a, a season. This is the big problem that NASCAR are running into with the chase. For most of the season, luck evens out. And then for the final bit, it doesn't. One engine failure, that's it. Pack up, go home, come back next year. But in Formula One, this has generally been the case. Now, we're in a scenario where Andre has said this umpteenth times on the show. So I'm going to say umpteenth plus one times 
we're in an era where Mercedes are about as dominant, if not more so, than any other team has been in any other era of Formula One. Red Bull, forget it. Ferrari can just about dream of this level of OPness at the top of their game somewhere in the early 2000s. So effectively, that means that there is only going to be two drivers at any one time competing for the title. Maybe there'll be some in third behind taking away some of the wins, but theoretically, they're nowhere. I don't even want to know how big the gap is between second and third in the points. I'm assuming over 100, maybe Actually, more. Actually, third place so, in the championship has already been decided, so... Well, there you go. How far is it behind Rosberg? Uh, how far is it behind Hamilton? Uh, I have no clue. I just know whoever's in third can't fall down to fourth, so... Okay, fair enough. Well, there you go. So third has been decided. Um, so for the last two years, what has ended up happening is we've had a fairly equal fight between two drivers who are fairly equal to each other. Pretty, pretty good. By any neutral measure... On any given day, Hamilton is probably the slightly better driver. He's There's a reason why he's now second on the all-time wins list. You don't fluke that, no matter how much OP your car is for any yes. given amount of and time in that career. you don't fluke how good Hamilton is in wet condition races. Like, this, is a, this race this past weekend was only the tip of the iceberg of his wet weather prowess. Everybody will look to his sophomore year at the British Grand Prix, where he basically almost lapped the entire field at home as like the height of his of his abilities in the wet weather conditions. Even my father agrees with this, and he's not as uh, he's not as like analytically minded as a Formula One fan as I am. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go. Uh, so in amongst all this, we have Nico Rosberg, who has ended up being painted desperately as the heel in amongst all this. Because, hey, isn't Hamilton so likable and he's so great. He's he's greatest of all time, blah, 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 blah. And he's British um, and Britain controls most of the F1 media. And then Nico Rosberg is German. So, rah, German, because we still haven't got over the Second World War if Brexit <laughs> didn't prove that. We haven't gotten uh, over Michael so Schumacher we- cheating his way to all those titles. Yeah, the Damon Hill Adelaide screw job. Yeah, yeah, shake your Ferrari fist, even though Nico Rosberg's actually a really nice guy. Even though it only can guarantee you basically not even a podium at this point. Basically, yeah, because Mercedes are that OP. But my point in amongst all this is we are now at a system where three seasons in at Mercedes. Hamilton has beaten Rosberg twice now. Last year, did anyone try and say anything about Rosberg being unlucky? Nope. Even though potentially he was. Uh, this year... Suddenly, a very big deal is being made. People are honestly, like, they're not even just saying, oh, but Hamilton's been a bit unlucky this year. They are actively going, how's Rosberg about to win the title? He doesn't deserve that. This is a total fluke. Like, even more so. Have any of you been watching this year? Did any of you watch the first, was it four or five races where Rosberg bossed pretty much all of them start to finish, light to flag? Did any of you watch any of the other races this year? The Italian Grand Prix at Monza. Did any of you watch Singapore? Right. Lights to flag. He had the beating of Hamilton. Whatever the race threw at him, he had the beating of Hamilton. He had the beating of the rest of the field. These were GOAT top tier level drives. And you are still questioning whether a man who has gone up against a guy who admittedly has had bad luck with engine failures. But oh, do we not mention anything about Rosberg's bullshit penalties? The one that he got in Germany on the Golden Child? The one he got in Malaysia for an overtake that the golden child would be praised to the moon for, and we're going to get to him in a minute. Does no one talk about that? Does no one talk about his mechanical issues last year? It's like, it's even, maybe. I, it's I even think, just maybe. Lord, let me finish. Let me finish. Maybe the luck is evening out across a, se- a season, and maybe, just maybe, for this given year, 
Rosberg's been slightly better. It doesn't mean he's better overall. Don't start crying into your Hamilton memorabilia McLaren towels. I don't even know if they're a thing. But maybe it's not that hard to comprehend. And what I'm most disappointed in about all this, it's not necessarily the fans harping on this bullshit. Yeah, because it- it's the media for propagating all this. It is the constant think pieces. It's the analysis. It's the people who are seemingly very smart motorsport journalists who are just propagating the lie of, oh, well, Hamilton's the moral winner. Well, he's the real winner of the year. Look, if after Abu Dhabi, if, if something goes wrong for Rosberg there and Hamilton wins, you'll all say he deserved it. Yeah. You better be saying the same thing if Rosberg closes this down, because there is no damn reason why you should be denigrating an Eco Rosberg championship win this year. Thank you. I need a bottle of water. Yeah. Guys, like, it's, over to like, you. It's in, even, it, in short, I would say, hearkening back to last Tuesday, it's the this system is rigged version of media where it's like, where it's tribalism turned up to 11. God, it's, Mm. it's worse than it was in 2014 when you had the prospect of Nico Rosberg potentially quote unquote, fluking his way to a win (laughs) at a championship because of double points. Ew, gross. And like, shouldn't, Nico Rosberg has had this amazing career arc where it's taken him basically 11 seasons to get to this point. I remember at a point where he was always the perennial next year's breakout star, and we just had to keep waiting until next year until he finally broke through with his first victories. And then he did. And then he suddenly elevated to a championship contender when nobody was giving him a shot. And it's still the case this year, even though he is on the cusp of becoming a world champion like his father Keke, reinforcing the dominance of Mercedes AMG in this uh current V6 turbo era. It's it's unfathomable to me how how much we just take the piss out of what Rosberg has accomplished. Like there are probably arguments it's downright disrespectful at this yeah, point. It it really is. It's I mean King's just so over there like yeah, yeah, you guys are saying this. The Rosberg boy. Rosberg is my boy. I, I've been, and I haven't I've been even said dealing with yet. this for years, since the days of, oh, well, Schumacher's 41 now, or, oh, like, just excuses to why Nico Rosberg isn't oh, as good Akajima as... Oh, Kazakajima wasn't... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kazakajima, one of, legitimately one of the WEC's top drivers now. It's just a punching bag as a teammate. Yeah, it, it's yeah levels of ridiculousness to before he was even in the spotlight to why he was performing against so well against perceived great talent it's just oh i it depresses me no end that this is the narrative we're running with like it it comes back to what we said before about people make predictions on things they claim they make predictions when really it's just you being a fan. I could say I predict Sergio Perez to be champion next year. You'd call that out as bullshit and you'd be right because I'd just be saying that because I want that to happen. People just want Lewis Hamilton to be champion because they like him, because they feel like there's some sort of obligation to the sport to have this breakout superstar, you know, almost on a Valentino Rossi level. He's got to be the one on top. He's got to be the champ. We've yeah. got to push this guy. And the, the Rosberg winning is was not in anyone's script. But guess what? We're not in professional wrestling, guys. Yeah, like, Sport like, is not scripted. to even professional wrestling, there's one poignant quote from, from What Culture's own Adam Blompier where he says there's a difference between fan fiction and fantasy booking where you have to give yourself realistic expectations of what you can and can't do. 
Yes, absolutely. Like this is this is getting to the point where it is fan fiction stuff. If it was fan fiction stuff, Hamilton. If it was up to the fan fiction writers in the media and on the fan pages, Hamilton would already be past. We'd all be in the hundreds and win counts. He'd be up there. <laughs> Dining with Ayrton Senna in heaven at the glorious top table of Formula One God tier. So Max Verstappen would be their waiter. Like, it's just, I'm fed up with it, quite frankly. And I thought, like, media outlets and, you know, certain media outlets, not all, but certain uh, media outlets and, you know, fans who are knowledgeable, who are smart about this. I thought you, I thought people were better than this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's like, it's not even like football levels of tribalism. It's not even like supercars level of tribalism (laughs) at its very worst. I know, like, yeah, literally where you you say the word Ford around the wrong person, you ain't leaving that room. Um, So, but I I just, guys, it's giving me a headache talking about, I'm sick of it. It's just so, I mean, this has been the year for just blithely shouting something that's completely wrong and then getting people to believe it. Adam, Adam, you know what's going to make you feel better? is a long, drawn-out, in-depth discussion about your boy, the bandit, Max Verstappen, finishing third. No, I'm done. Mounts. Okay, but you have to admit, Max Verstappen's day, he he well improved why people are so excited about him. He He doesn't show it every weekend, and people act like it's every weekend, but he showed why he was one of... He's the next big thing. I'm not going to call him the next Ayrton Senna like other people, but he is <sighs> the next big thing. Can I just say, can I just get my, like, I'm going to do what so many people don't and just get my personal side of it out of the way before I talk about this on an on a like less biased level. For crying out loud, Max, you made me sit through that entire <laughs> race on the at least hope that my boy could get a podium and then that's how you cap off your god tier drop. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks the a bandit lot. is not here uh. to satisfy your pleasures. The bandit is only here to pick up podiums. He's not here to finish fourth. He's here to win races and crown <laughs> himself a future 10-time world champion, baby. Or park his car in the wrong place or come into the pits when he's not he's supposed to. He's been running his mouth on the whole paddock, and he'd just like to say he wants to apologize for absolutely nothing. Yep, he's a high-flying, jet-setting, podium-stealing <laughs> son of a gun that you just love to hate. I, I don't know what's worse here, comparing Max Verstappen to Ayrton Senna or Ric Flair. <laughs> Man! Out loud, the amount of... Woo! My God! Ted Kravitz! We are in Sao Paulo, baby! And we are live! <laughs> Actually, no, I've decided. Please do. Keep going with that. It's less obnoxious than the is he better than Senna think pieces. But, um, yeah, let's get to the story that basically... I mean, let's be honest, if you're not a Perez fan, this was kind of the moment that made the race worth watching to a degree, because let's let's take it from the top. We had, well, there was rain almost constantly throughout the race. There oh was boy, basically was never there a moment. rain? <laughs> oh, just <laughs> quite a bit, yeah. there was rain the hard way. <laughs> yeah, there was so much rain that we lost a car on the reconnaissance lap to the grid. Not the warm-up lap. The lap where the cars go out of the pits very slowly and go round to line up on the grid to be talked at by Martin Brundle. Roman Grosjean crashed on that lap. This is how wet we're talking about here. And people have been already going, oh, well, they're going to start it under safety car, aren't they? Oh, they're going to be such wusses about it. And I'm like, guys, a guy just crashed on the on the reconnaissance lap to the grid. Yep. 
There's, there's no way they're though, not. Though not since I learned, what, we all know what I know, learned. Who on. looks at Twitter during the races? This race, because only one person said, "Yeah, we should definitely have a standing start." Go on, Nikki Lauda. <laughs> Nikki Lauda. Max Verstappen's <laughs> now. Nah, we should start behind the safety car. Nikki Lauda. Nah, standing start this thing. <laughs> Nikki Lauda, yeah. whose famous championship moment was conceding the, the 76 title because it rained too hard at Fuji Speedway. There is some irony in there. I'm just not sure how much we have to go to look for it. In fact, it's smothered on. But yeah, we had a, we had a start of the race that was in the pouring rain. So they started on the safety car. We all thought they were going to do the thing where it was like, oh, they're going to wait until it's wet and it's dry enough for inters or maybe just full slick. So they're going to make the extreme wet tire redundant. An extreme wet tire that appears not fit for purpose now, based on how many people were complaining about it during the race. It seems to be pretty damn rubbish. Uh, so we went green for a while. Uh, featured, uh, it. how many how many crashes did we have until it went under? Oh. Let's just recount this. We had Sebastian Vettel facing the wrong way out of the final turn into oncoming Honestly. traffic. And yeah, that was that was almost scary because he, yeah. he spun out just past the crest along the front straightaway where I believe there was... So it was fairly blind. Right, yes. It's a blind corner with already poor visibility. At that part of the track, there was a fatal accident in the Brazilian stock cars where somebody unfortunately got T-boned in the driver's side spinning out at the same point in the track. Like, that was bad. And then Kimi Raikkonen spins on the front stretch right in front of uh, right in front of I want to say it was Nazar and Esteban Ocon, and that almost ended disastrously as well. Marcus Ericsson wrote off his Sauber, further reinforcing the fact that Sauber may have signed the wrong Swede, but who's who's counting? <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will because. Uh, so we, we, we got through that. We had a crash onto pit road, uh, and then we had a safety car. Then they go back green, and literally 100 yards into the restart, Raikkonen spins it in a straight line down the front straight and is crashing into the right-hand wall, then across the track into the left, nearly gets hit head-on by two cars, and the, the stewards at this point go, right, you know what? I don't care about any entertainment people on Twitter. We're red-flagging this thing right now. This is just not a thing. So cue the um, elevator music. Yeah, so we all sat under red flag. We then had a baffling thing that only F1 could do, which is where they were like, oh, we're going to go back out there now. We're going to restart the race. Five laps under safety car. And they're like, no, we're red flagging it again. Despite the drivers going, uh, actually, the track's got drier since we're out here. It's, it's, if anything, it's actually getting better. Uh, fine well, okay this was about the so point in the race where all i had done like i had to go to this work but like by this point in the race my only highlight from like my race analysis was just making uh was just making bad <laughs> guns and roses tweets uh set to <laughs> yes. pictures of burned maylander who was the real mvp of this race yes. by the way Oh, he was. And and let's be fair, most of them jokes and then memes that are actually pretty funny, RJ, I'll give you that. Uh, in a world of unfunny memes, they stood out like a sore thumb by actually being funny. Wow. Uh, it, it, it all came from the fact that Slash, the actual guitarist from Guns N' Roses, was in the Ferrari pit. So, of course, <laughs> the crap dad jokes were provided by Sky Sports. Aww. The good jokes were provided by RJ. Like, I personally like drive this circuit <laughs> in the cold November rain. And, and I like to welcome to the jungle one. Like I, anytime I see Slash, I think of that episode of South Park where they make Slash like Santa Claus, <laughs> where it's like, is he a because, real person, guys? 
Because of course South Park would do that. He's just so, he's That's just, just what they he's do. He's so mythically awesome, he can't be real. Yeah, he's like Brian May on that point. It must be something about guitarists with big hair. Uh, he certainly um, aged so more it, gracefully than Axl Rose, who now looks like a Chris Farley character. Oh, but, yeah. but, but that's another story for another time. Excuse me. ACDC vocalist Axl Rose. Yeah, that one, uh, who sits in a Dave Grohl massive Game of Thrones throne thing. Um, anyway, we are getting horrendously off topic, like we have a thing to do. We then finally, we had some more yellow... Uh, flag running. We finally got a race on the way and it actually went... Did it go green the rest of the... No, no it didn't go green the rest of the way. Uh, and we'll get to why in a minute. Um, and the rest of the race was actually not too bad, given that the conditions were actually, if anything, about as bad as they had been for the entire race. This wasn't too bad, you know. I mean, Alonso had a half spin. You had some half spins here and there, yeah. but generally these guys really kept it together well. And you had an interesting mix of strategies because a lot of the field went for basically well, we don't have to pit at all for tyres and I don't think we should because we've had so many safety car runnings. Um, or did they change tyres under red flag? I, I know Mercedes went to the end. I know a lot of teams in the midfield switched to intermediate tyres when it was not ready for intermediate tyres. Yeah. We all thought they were stupid for it. Oh even boy. even Lewis Hamilton said it in the in the podium interview. Where No, you said it in one of his post-race interviews where he said anybody who was going on enters out there were idiots. Yeah, um, and that inadvertently led to probably the most memorable stage of the race, which was later on, uh, we had a... Because initially people were thinking we wouldn't even make the 53-lap cutoff to make this a full classified race, and that would have actually played into Rosberg's hands more because they'd have only awarded half points at that point. Um, but we actually we made it past there, and then Felipe Massa, unfortunately, in his final Brazilian Grand Prix, uh, had a big crash on the front straight round into the pit entry, similar, in fact, to Marcus Ericsson's earlier in the race. Um, but his, uh, what we did get out of it was officially the most emotional walk back to the garage ever seen in F1. More emotional than that time. Was it Mika Hakkinen who burst into tears on his walk back from a, a blown yeah, engine one time? He, he burst down into tears at like the 99 Italian Grand Prix because he was thinking that, right, this is me throwing away the, my second world championship. I just couldn't believe it. But man, the emotion from... Massa's farewell from the fans, from the rest of the teams in the paddock. Um, this was something that we hadn't seen. And it was actually the first time, and I wish I had and I had been thought about this. This is like the first time the Brazilian fans had actually got a chance to say a proper goodbye to their top statesmen in the sport. We know, unfortunately, what happened with Ayrton Senna. Rubens Barrichello and Nelson Piquet eh, never really got a chance to say goodbye definitively because they didn't know at the time that this was going to be their final race. Um, so this was like the first time where the Brazilian fans and everybody else got to say a proper goodbye, although he still has one more race left, but we're not really counting that. We got to say goodbye to their guy that has been with them and given them so many happy memories. Felipe Massa has as many Interlagos wins as Ayrton Senna does. And yeah. he came within 30 seconds of winning a title at home, lest we forget. <laughs> lest we forget that, lest we forget, especially anyone who watches uh, Skelling to our Cook Productions. Um, so he had a Brazilian flag in the car. I mean, this was emotional. This was a proper... It's rare that you get these kind of emotional send-offs. And for a guy who, like, history will not remember Massa as, like, a god-tier level driver... 
but they will remember him as one of those. I, I put him in a kind of Jensen Button category of like a sort of the guys who kind of personify F1. You know, they're warm, they're friendly. No one has a bad thing to say about them. They're hard workers. They're great chargers. They're good team players when they need to be. They can win races. They can perform with the best of them on any given Sunday. So, uh, you know, this 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 kind of farewell was was really, you know, it was it was justified for the man, well deserved. It was quite funny when somebody tweeted, "Yeah, he does have one more race." I think it was Guido van der Gaard tweeted. It was like, "Oh, he has one more race, you know, guys." A lot of people start getting abuse for it. I'm like, "Well, they're not wrong." No, but you like, know, it was he, van der Gaard he, being that snarky guy. <laughs> What you mean being dry? Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> what guy? That guy. Uh, so then what happened? Basically, uh, as the uh, safety car came out, uh, both the Red Bulls had just taken a gamble to pit onto intermediates. Ad had a few others. Jensen Button had tried putting on inters, and then he was like, yeah, you know what? This car ain't handling it. I'm coming back in for wets. And his crew went, yeah, but the inters, the in-. and he went, I don't care. This car sucks. I'm putting it back on wets. So effectively... What then happened is uh, uh, just before, no, just after the safety car, I should say, uh, both the Red Bulls were like, nah, we ain't going on inters, mate. We're bunging them, we're bunging them wet tyres back on. So then what happened was a tale of two Red Bulls. Basically, Daniel Ricciardo obviously, you know, fell down the order, climbed back up in a, a kind of hard, hard-fought charge up to eighth place. Except that his teammate was Max Verstappen, who decided to go all Senna Donington 1993 on us by going from 15th to 3rd in 12 laps. I mean, guys, we've been a little bit churlish about it so far, but on a base level, let's put, it, let's put everything aside, this was pretty damn good. Yeah, that was a great drive. Like, this was a really good drive, and damn if it wasn't entertaining. This was, yeah, this was easily one of the most... It, I, I honestly say this was this was a better individual performance than he had when he won the Spanish Grand Prix, when he turned Felipe Nazar. He had more to yeah, do. And when he turned Felipe Nazar out at Blanchemont last year. And we'll talk about Nazar in a bit. Yeah, we will. I mean, like, it was, like, for me, I was just heated because my boy was like, might get a podium. Oh, no, that dickhead's here to spoil the show. But on a purely unbiased standpoint, like, he was taking lines through corners that no one else was. And we're just sort of driving. Let's be honest. He was driving like someone who didn't have anything, who had nothing to lose, which is probably the most powerful thing out there. Here's the little asterisks we've got to apply to these things because we're going to be that guy. Um, he obviously had much fresher tires than the rest of the field. And, and you know, in the dry, yeah. you say that, you know, fresh tires have a massive difference. And I, I do maintain if this was anyone else, people would be saying a lot more oh sure but his tires were not as old as uh, were nowhere near as worn as anyone else i mean like the but two mercedes were on tires they'd ran the entire race yeah. on you know so like and this would be a big deal if it was dry conditions so let's make that point here he did have tire advantage aha people are going to say now right about now i can predict people going aha but what about danny ricardo then huh you verstappen hater you anti-max caper Ricardo explained that one today in an interview with Fox Sports um, Australia by saying, and he also put this in a note as well, you can interpret this as race driver excuse all you want, but to be honest, when we're dealing with those sort of conditions and the fact that Ricardo is most known for being honest and upfront, I don't have much reason to doubt it. He had very bad issues with a foggy visor. The thing kept steaming up. He had to try and dry, drive at, you know, the speeds they were doing and demissed his own visor whilst moving so yeah. in that sort of context only managing an eighth in the conditions that they were that he also described as looking a lot better on tv than they were irl 
um, which again, I don't doubt. I mean, we saw the onboard shots. Like these guys, the, the visibility, they were like using the force <laughs> yeah. to navigate around, especially when you're in the like, spray of a car one, behind you. So one Verstappen move that I think doesn't get enough credit. When he, I forgot who crashed in the pit entry and somehow- Esteban Gutierrez. Yeah, when Gutierrez crashed oh, on pit man. entry and Verstappen was entering pit lane and somehow was able to avoid him. Like whether his team told him he was there or not, just to get around him was impressive. Yeah, I mean, that was serious. And I, I want to pitch a little bit of a question here. You know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I, I like to. Had Ricardo not had the, the the visor issue that he did, do you think he goes as far up the order as Max no. did? No. On, on full wets, no. Because um, I think by that point, the track was starting to improve. Also, Matt Verstappen's tires, while still relatively fresher than, let's say, what Mercedes were using the whole damn race, plus qualify. Uh, no, it wouldn't have been plus qualifying. But still, Verstappen's uh, intermediate tires that he used to the end of the race still had like a cycle on them. So they weren't like fresh. They were fresher, but not necessarily. Oh, no, they were full wets at the end, weren't they? I, I think Verstappen went inners. I I don't know. Like I spent most of the, I've spent most of the back half of this race in retail hell. <laughs> <laughs> I feel for Gross. you, buddy. And, and Trey's going to listen back to that and be like nodding sagely. Like, yep, feel you there, buddy. So like, I just, I just want to put the asterisks on it a little bit, but let's still, you know, there are people all over social media today recording. We're recording this on Monday evening. So the hot takes are all over the place saying this is better than Senna 1993. He's already, he's, he's as good as Senna, blah, 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 blah. That seems to be the popular thing. Like, I'm sorry. Somebody earlier on was like, and this is, you know, this is the standard of online social media in 2016. I mean, Hey, we've just seen a whole election around basically fake bollocks, clickbait news. Um, like, and somebody earlier was like, oh, is, is Verstappen now on the same level as, as Senna and Michael Schumacher? No! Give him time! He's in his second sodding season! He's not won a single yeah, championship! I, I would say that drive is on the level of some of their greater drives, but as a, like... Yeah, as an individual drive, yeah. yeah. Could he be? Yes. But he, he just calm down, will you? He ain't nowhere like, near I yet. Think it was, and you're probably the ones who bitch about people building up drivers too quickly. It's yeah, worse than the Joey Logano hype from 2009. <laughs> it's like the sliced bread hype. Oh my hype. god! Yeah. Oh my god! I remember that as well. That was that was incredible. But yeah, I think um, even when um when he crossed the finish line, I think it was either Croft or Brundle instantly went to you know Tolman and the and the eighty four. Monaco Grand Prix and I'm like this wasn't even for a race win guys yeah this was not for this was not for a race this was not for the victory it was still a it was still a podium it was still a third place finish and like I don't know I think people on a pure emotional level enjoyed this and to a degree I don't mind that too yeah. much because hey at least we're talking about something on the track normally at F1 weekends we don't have shit to talk about on the track so like uh, from that perspective I'm glad we had some actual racing to talk about and was Verstappen's drive that good yeah. Yeah. it probably was like, it probably was i was uh, admittedly I was, let's just use I some was, rational thought here like, i was so just sad when i saw him go around the outside of rossford oh that was earlier in the race yeah. wasn't it oh and let's also talk about the fact that this is verstappen's year in a nutshell right this is his this guy cannot do any sodding wrong yeah this is why people were so amazed he actually got penalized in uh, in mexico he, uh, everyone in the race was struggling out of the final turns and along the front straight. If you hit any of the white lines along that straight, 
with the standing water and the aquaplaning that was happening up there, you were basically doomed. Vettel went wrong way, you know, was facing the wrong way earlier in the race. He had Massa crash into that wall. Ericsson crashed along that straight. Raikkonen crashed along that straight. Alonso spun late there in the straight Jolly line. And Rosberg had a half Jolly spin. Julian Palmer had a crash there. <laughs> Rosberg had a half spin up there and saved that really well. Would have been save of the day had it not for Verstappen basically spinning all the way across the track and coming literally within about two feet of the inside wall. And the car just sort of went, snap. Oh no, it's back in a straight line. Keep going. You didn't even touch the wall. Literally, it was like a hand of God just went down and went, no, nah, we're not going to let the anointed, sainted son of mine hit that wall. I mean, yeah, driving skill. Yeah, brilliant. Be like, of hey, um, <laughs> look at my friend right here. Not bitter at all. His honest. name is Max Verstappen, <laughs> and he can't do anything wrong. And you can't yes. teach that. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone who criticizes him, we got <laughs> one word for you, and I'm going to spell it out for you. B I T T. No, H A T E R. Hater. Yeah. Um, like that's that's what we're talking about right now. We have Verstappen who has the personality of basically what he is, which is a gobby, angsty teenager, which is probably why he's rubbed me up. Like you've probably guessed it already on this show. My feelings towards Max Verstappen are kind of like Dre's towards Graham Rahal. Like, like Graham Rahal can say something right, and Dre will still just go off on him and throw the shade. Like it's just sort of oh, just shut up. And that's and that's yeah, when Dre, you just played the finish. Right. No, shut that's up, when you care. just played the finish of the 2016 Texas race. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just sat there when I because I, I, I properly got annoyed I was like oh, for, you, I, some swearing happened when he went around the outside of Perez for third and then I sat there and went well at least now I know how Dre felt and at least it wasn't for the win and at least it wasn't a photo finish but you know <laughs> Perez in fourth and Hulkenberg in seventh did basically wrap up fourth in the Constructors Championship for Force India. Yeah. Yes, it could have been a you know podium, still a- but that's still a very important race to nailing down Force India's best result as a team and their current entity and their best result since they were Jordan in the late 90s. That's magnificent. I mean, I've already talked about how this is easily Perez's best career year to date. Like he beat his points total for his best ever season, like two or three races ago. He's had a seriously good one. Like as a, say as a, he is one of my boys. This is, you know, seriously good stuff. He still had a really, really good season, but tell you what, if we are talking about underdog performances of the, maybe the year, maybe the year, uh, early on, it looked like it might be Manor who had snatched potentially double points when they stuck out there. Esteban I was, Ocon I had was a, hoping that they would call the race at that point when Ocon was ninth <laughs> and Verline was 10th. I don't even give oh, a fuck. Yes, <laughs> that was amazing. But then unfortunately, the race did continue and they plummeted out of reckoning. But, well, unfortunately for Manor, they won't like this. But this was a heartwarming story for you, especially for the Brazilian fans who weren't given much to celebrate with Massa crashing out of his final home Grand Prix. Um, now, there's, there's kind of, this is difficult for me to say, because when this driver was linked with Force India to replace Nico Hülkenberg, I, I was a bit sceptical, uh, shall we say. RJ, I know you're glaring at me. Just, just, no, I'm, I'm just warming me. up the pipes What you hear something. right now, that, that ding, that's the buzzer on the oven. I'm now about to take my humble pie out and eat it. Because yesterday, in pouring rain, with everything else going on around him, and after a miserable season for this team, Felipe Nazar finished ninth, having run mid to lower end of the top 10 for almost the entire I race. Make, I want to make one correction to this statement. Felipe Nazar do Brasil! <laughs> 
Skellington is about to sue us for copyright infringement. There we go. Uh, but no, seriously, like I am tempted. Editing Adam, when you're listening to this back, um, if you feel like it, drop in the audio, because it dropped today as we're recording this uh, on YouTube, drop in the audio clip of Nazar as he comes across the line. It's the most emotional, most shouty ninth place finish celebration ever. It is absolute pure magic. And it's it's heartwarming as well. You can tell the emotion is there. It's raw emotion. This is a team fighting for survival, effectively. And this is what really, you know, we talk about this a lot, about how F1 just does not look after its lower order at all. We all know that whoever finishes last in the construction this year won't get a single penny. Yep. Now, that is not fair on any level. No. But this is a, this is a, a kind of back, like a, a, a circumstance, um, a consequence of it. That battle for 10th place is pretty much as intense as the battle for the top tier. Well, it's more of a battle than the battle for the win in the Constructors' like it's Championship. It's a battle for survival, um, basically. And it, it, you're right. It, it is. is not, this is like back is, to the Mauritius Catering days of 2011 yeah, 2012. It's not even fair when you consider that Newcastle United shit the bed last season and will still get more <laughs> money for getting relegated than the last place team in this F1 World Championship will be for having one of their best seasons in years. Um, but man, mm. Felipe Nazar finishing ninth, scoring Sauber's first points of what looked like a lost 2016 season after a miss. But this kind of reminded me of the, and, and it's, it's talked about more and more now since his sad passing. This reminded me of that drive from Bianchi in 2014 at Monaco. Right, absolutely. In terms of importance, in terms of a young driver standing up, and in terms of a potentially team-saving drive... This is magnificent. Right. And I want to make this point because I've been a proponent of Nasser's talents now for a while since before he was even up in F1. Last year. Yeah, you were the one telling me when I was not, when he was linked to the Force India seat and I wasn't happy about it. And you were the one saying, hey, just, right. just because you know, like, I, I, I still remember back when he was the Williams test driver and you were talking about like he should be Massa's replacement. Right. And when he was signed at Sauber, of course, with the whole drivers kerfuffle that happened every but there were there oh were goodness, quite a yeah. few four into four into two right. seats there was a lot of discussion of well oh nazar's just here for his money manisha kaltenborn can't run the team uh is felipe, you know, is felipe nazar even that good and throughout all of last season even when it, like like he was still scoring like the majority of Sauber's points. And even this year, like at times he looked miserable at Sauber and Marcus Erickson looked like he was clearly getting the upper hand. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, Felipe Nazar at home secures Sauber's first points in a race where Marcus Erickson bins it. Mm. And like, I, I, that's got to feel good. And these are, the, and let's be clear here. Like last year, he finished 13th in the points, uh, having collected a, this is not his best result in F1. Let's clarify that. He finished uh, a best of fifth in Australia last year. Yeah. Um, so this is not his best result. I mean, last year's 2015 Australian Grand Prix, if I remember rightly, was something of a crapshoot. Yeah. Oh, yes. So many guys like, <laughs> So many guys, like nine cars, made it off the start fit at the, the start of the race, or some nonsense like that. Well, barely anyone oh, even started the bad. race. But this one, oh my goodness, this was something else. And as I say, for a season that has been so rubbish for Sauber, they have legitimately probably been on balance the worst team overall this year. But they have they've been scrapping with Manor all the way. And ironically, had he been able to hold on to seventh, they'd have leapfrogged Renault. Goodness, they'd have leapfrogged a factory team. This is ridiculous. And in like, like we talked about Verstappen's drive, you know, that was over 12 laps. Amazing drive. Yeah. This was over the whole race. This was, he was practically up there in the top 10 for almost the entire, but obviously he didn't Nazar qualify was there. was as high as but six, he stuck it out though. 
He was as high as sixth place in a, a race of such changeable conditions. And I say that from changing from really bad to really, really, really bad to British summertime bad. Like, this was a, like, and considering how the manners fell away, they couldn't keep their pace up. Yeah. Nazar was in there and he was going wheel to wheel with guys like Hulkenberg, Alonso, you know, Vettel, I think at one point, uh, you know, obviously the Red Bulls coming through the field. You know, he only just, he, was, he wasn't that far ahead of finishing ahead of Ricardo. Goodness. Like, this was mighty. I mean, what a drive to pull, pull his socks up and come out of there. Like, it would be a real shame if he's not We've on got the, to applaud yeah, Nasa. It would be a real shame if he's not on the grid at this point. I know it may just be a little bit of reactionaryism from just one race, but, you know, I, there are glimpses where Felipe Nazar looks like a legitimate F1 driver. And if for some reason he doesn't end up on the grid next year in Formula One, there are going to be a, a lot of teams clamoring for his services in another series, maybe as a reserve driver with another team. I know he has ties with IMSA because before he was in F1, he raced the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And if you give him the chance to be the next Brazilian IndyCar Correct, sensation, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> Like he and Pipo Durrani teaming up in a sports car. Whoa, take my money now. That'll be intense stuff. But yeah, like, I'll tell you what, he made a believer out of me this weekend. And that's a big deal because I am almost as cynical as Dre at times. Like, this was seriously good driving on a horrendous, you know, track, a horrendous, um, you know, conditions the entire race. It was really good stuff. And as I say, the Manners tried a similar thing, couldn't keep it going. And this is Esteban Ocon, who's just been signed by Force India. Pascal Verline, who's Mercedes's prototype. You know what I mean? So, yeah, like, like, just real good stuff. And this, to me, was the big feel-good story of the day. In amongst everything else, in amongst the, you know, the the, the self-flagellation over Verstappen's drive, you know, warranted to a degree. Uh, yet again, talk about Rosberg deserving the title. This was the feel-good story that kind of F1 needed. It was really good stuff. Um, so let's round out this segment, really, by... Uh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about two things. So let's first talk about how the FI handled this race. Because to me... King, it kind of felt like a lot of indecision. And that's why I said this was potentially their worst race and their best one. Because it seemed to me like they flip-flopped almost as much as Twitter on, let's let the drivers race, they're the best in the world too. Oh no, we don't want to risk a death. Ah, red flag. It, it just seemed to me like uh, no one kind of knew what was going on. Some of the calls didn't make much I, sense. And in the end, they cut them loose. And ironically, it worked out. Yeah, I think it was after uh, which race we had the, the long wait after the safety car. Was it Montreal? No, I think it was Britain. No, which wet race oh, yeah. was earlier this Britain. year? Yeah, Britain. Oh, yeah, this year, Britain. yeah, it was, it was Britain. They started, they went like six laps under safety car. And at the then start. Charlie Whiting said that next year there would be a regulation saying that there would be a standing start no matter what. No matter if they have to run around the safety car for a couple laps, they'll go back to the grid and do a standing start. And that he admitted that uh, Japan 2014 affected the way he called wet races. And I think. He kind of had to to backtrack to the to that old style of officiating after you know letting the drivers loose at first and it being absolute carnage out there because genuinely you know almost let the drivers uh, let the drivers out there on an exploration and then let them come back and say all right we're the drivers and we're saying it's too wet yeah where he couldn't be. He he honestly couldn't be the guy to just let them loose anymore because it was that dangerous. Yeah, and let's put it this way. We're not criticizing the first red flag. I think everyone's in agreement. When you've got a guy like Kimi Raikkonen spinning in a straight line on the front straight and nearly having huge crashes there, that's the point where you're like, all right, 
they can't even go in a straight line right now. This was like, it reminded me a bit of the V8 supercars in uh, Sydney 2014 on the street circuit where they had thunderstorms in two of their three races. And you were getting to a point genuinely where Shane Van Gisbergen, who's sideways anyway most of the time, he was nearly losing it and breaking traction and aquaplaning in a straight line at 160 kilometers an hour down the main straight. When you can't, when you can't go in a straight line without crashing and these are the world's best drivers, yeah, it, it's probably not, We've probably lost the track, guys. But I, I feel to me after that, they almost went too conservative. They went out there under yellow. The drivers are saying, if anything, it's improved. But then they go back in and red flag it again, which is very weird. It just seemed to, uh, you know. I think they red flagged it the second time round because I think that it was because of, I would say, the, I'd call it the Canada 2011 rule where the race can't go over two hours, where the race can't go over two hours, but you're given a four hour window. So you could stop the race clock while still, you know, move along that four hour window. Mm, okay. Well, from that angle, it kind of makes more logical sense, but it just seemed to be a bit indecisive on the, it, it seemed to give off an indecisive nature on the FIA's part. But then after that, it seemed to go pretty well. Um, and like I say, we got a really good race in the end. So only F1 could have a first half of the race that was utterly farcical and a second half that was utterly brilliant. And to end this segment, we now know the title picture now. It is, uh, you know, Rosberg has not wrapped it up uh, with races to spare. We knew Brazil was his first attempt to do so. It is still in his hands, no matter what Hamilton has done the last few races. And incidentally, going back to what we talked about earlier, last year, people dismissed Rosberg's run of victories at the end of the season because Hamilton apparently wasn't trying. Why are we not giving Rosberg the same credit now that he we know that all he has to do is finish second in every race? Why are we not saying the same? Why are we not giving the same asterisks to in, Hamilton's in this wins? Race, all he has to in the last race, the finale in Abu Dhabi, all he has to do is finish on the podium. That's it, and he's world champion. Yep. Uh, but my question to you guys is: We're going down to the wire here. It is straight shootout now in Abu Dhabi. It is still in Rosberg's hands. He still has the upper upper hand. But my question to you might be a little bit controversial especially after we've spent so long saying, oh, Rosberg totally will deserve it. And I'm not questioning that at all. But has Rosberg been guilty of pulling a bit of a Danny Kent on this one? He, he's driven exactly what he needed to do. I, don't, I wouldn't say he's pulled back because of it, but I'd say he's definitely more risk adverse. He, he won't go, he won't attack Hamilton unless he knows he'll stick. Because if he knows something goes wrong, that's his season over. I completely agree. I think I think it's this is Rosberg's year in all honesty. It would take just the most massive overturning of bad fortune for Hamilton to take the title in Abu Dhabi, uh, especially when all things just run as they normally do uh, with with Mercedes being so dominant and especially at a track like Abu Dhabi, where you pretty much need to have the best car in order to stand any chance of staying out front because there's nowhere you can pass. Like, oh my goodness, Abu Dhabi, man. Abu Dhabi is going to be just another, like, at least it's decent enough on, like, yeah. even-numbered years. <laughs> it's it's decent enough. I think it, it can have a good race if the cars are even. And it being Formula One, the cars are rarely ever even. So you're going to end up in a situation where even if Rosberg has a bad qualifying, he can race through the field, no problem. So that'll conclude Formula One. But that other series that with Formula in the name and open wheel cars had its second round of its season at Marrakesh with its strange long gaps in the calendar. So let's talk about that right up next. 
So basically, this is the part of the show. There's often, between the three of us, whoever's on each show will be like, have we all seen all the races that we need to talk about this week between us? And I'll be like, yeah, we're, we're cool. We're good yeah. for that. This is the one where I kind of tag out to the apron and just kind of watch over the ropes because... um. I kind of missed the Formula E race. Sorry, guys. I blame RJ. I was tired from watching Super GT. Actually, I didn't even <laughs> know when. Welcome. The, yeah. You're welcome, by the way. To be I'd fair, say I don't it was a fair that. trade. Yeah, it, it was fair trade, to be honest with you. So, but you guys did watch the Formula E. So, guys, yep. hit me. How was the race? Uh, it was the first time that Formula E has gone to the beautiful city of Marrakesh in Morocco. And again, early in the show, I mentioned they wanted to do this race because it pairs up with the UN conference on climate change. And I think the race honestly delivered. This is, I would say the second, like this, the second time you could say formula E has been on a circuit. That's been purpose built for racing. And was this the same layout that WTCC used? Uh, I'm two honest. years ago. Yeah. 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 They said two years ago. Cause uh, I think in the pre-race show, they mentioned that the only drivers to race on it before was uh, uh, Jose Maria Lopez. Ma, yeah. Jose Maria Lopez and, and Ma. Uh, Queen Ma, yeah. Two. yeah. Queen Hama. So yeah. It was, it, so it was that it was layout. Good was it? One. Yeah. Yeah. It was the good layout. And cause I know they changed oh it for my. this year for the world touring cars. And it was kind of more, cause before it was straight chicane bit, straight chicane bit, straight hairpin bit, straight chicane, straight hairpin bit repeat. But then again, that's most street tracks. And there was always something quite weirdly engaging about Marrakesh. So if that, if it's the older layout they use, that's quite interesting. Did it work for formula E then? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Oh, did yes. it? And we saw <laughs> yes. plenty of overtakes. Um, Let's start in qualifying with Felix Rosenquist in his second race getting pulled for Mahindra. <laughs> yep. Good on that boy. Y'all. Good stuff. Yes, it, w- it was fantastic. And he led for most of the race. Um, Hong Kong winner Sebastian Buemi, reigning champion Sebastian Buemi, got a five place grid penalty for um, for stuff that happened in qualifying, <laughs> which reasons. I missed. <laughs> yes. Um and also, we had this race going on at the same time as Brazilian Grand Prix qualifying. So our good friends of the show coined the hashtag Brazilia Cash. <laughs> yes, thank, thanks, Sarah Connors or Elizabeth Worth. I know it was one of the two. Both people who, let's be honest, needed a laugh after the week's they've had as, as American citizens as well. So thank you very much for that. I did see that on Twitter very briefly. I was um, elsewhere on Saturday, hence why I, I missed the race, but I did see that the hashtag flying around our Slack chat. So that was pretty good. Um, it definitely sounds like a race I need to catch up on. What were the big stories from the race coming out? Uh, coming out of the race? Well, oh God. Well, you know, the matters well, are rising the, from the race. Yes. It, it, Sebastian Wemmy uh, <laughs> did Sebastian Wemmy things. He rallied back from deep in the field and to somehow win. Yeah, he. Uh, so he had Rosenquist, his own Verstappen stint, basically. Right. Yeah. Ver, uh, Rosenquist uh, led for most of the way, but unfortunately ran into some energy management issues later on. He ultimately lost second to Sam Bird. So the podium ended up being uh, Sebastian Buemi taking his second win of the year in a row, trying to build up that gap before he inevitably misses the uh, the season finale due to that WEC clash. Uh, whoa, whoa, the penultimate race now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It, so he's going to miss a so race. So WEC just, just said build pick up. your poison. <laughs> right. Yep. Just build that gap and put the title out of reach as early as you can. 
It was a it was a splendid drive from Buemi. Sam Bird finished the second and Felix Rosenquist third on debut. Wow. Uh, replicating replicating Robin Friend's uh podium from last year in uh in Putrajaya in his second race. Something about Though that second in- race though. Man, like I mean, yeah. Freund's has been. I've seen him watch. I've watched him mostly in GT3 under the protege of uh, Lawrence Vanthor. He is seriously rapid. And Rosenquist, we've known about. Rosenquist also. It's it's almost in that kind of uh, Giovanizzi level of feeder tier F1. Uh, feed a tier to F1 driver that someone really needs to sign. He's not quite in the Kevin Magnussen yeah. best driver, not in F1. Oh wait, he actually is in F1 again category, but he, <laughs> he's fairly close, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah he's, he, oh. it seems like he's the kind of guy where you just, you could put him in anything and he'll do well. Yeah, I haven't seen him be slow in anything. I mean, he ran uh, Indy Lights, didn't he? Yeah, he ran yeah, Indy he, Lights. He won, Indy, he won races in Indy Lights. He, he would did. have been a title contender if he had ran the whole Indy Lights season. Then he gets signed to DTM and he does well. He does well in sports cars. He does well in MSN Daytona. This guy I is th- rapid, guys. Have you not got the memo? Like, I still, I still remember two years ago he was that old guy in in Formula Three. Because yeah, not that he was like old, but he's just been there. He was yeah, there because everyone else was so time. young. Yeah, and he's been there so long, mostly because he didn't have the budget to move up from Formula E. It wasn't like a shortage of talent thing. Yeah, uh, but he's like, been just chopping at the bit to get this chance, and by God, he is absolutely seizing the hell out of it. Like and, and admittedly, him getting kicked out because of Stefano Domenicali's new three-year experience limit may have been one of the best things to happen to his career. It may be one like of those things where it's come back around. He didn't need to stay that long anyway. And to be honest, <laughs> there are some series that could probably use an experience cap. GP2, Formula V8. That's a bad cough you got there, son. But uh, uh, yes. yeah, you kind of approve of what they have in, weirdly, the series that doesn't need it because Moto3 and 2 are legit world championships in their own right. Yet because they have the age limit uh, status, they kind of feel like they're geared as feeder series. Well, they are nowadays. So yeah. that's the one area, one series where they kind of don't need them if they want to establish them as their own world championships in their own right. But I, I think I'm just biased on experience limits because I'm American and I, you know, have grown up with college football where players are limited to four years yeah we're used to, we're used to nascar where people just double dip in the uh in the second and third tier <laughs> series yeah and you have guys like ron hornaday and matt craft and who are still bossing it in trucks into their 40s and 50s yeah back to formula e yes back to yes. formula e audi audi sports drivers lucas degrassi and daniel app had an entertaining race they finished fifth and sixth john eric fern looked like he was going to be a strong contender for at least a podium until he got uh, penalized for speeding in the pit lane. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff. Poor guy. And he's basically running the same package as the Renault Edams this year. So it's got to turn around for him eventually. Yeah. There are only uh, two races man. into the season, to be fair. Goodness. Um, Jose Maria Lopez finishes in the points. I have a feeling like it's going to turn around for him at some point. I mean, in the to be fair, you, you did say correctly that Lopez was one of two drivers there who had experience there. And this would have been a weird situation for him, though, because when he was there in world touring cars, he wouldn't have had anyone to look at out the front of his windscreen, except maybe for about half a lap in the reverse grid race. But then Citroen's yeah. in world touring cars the last few years, for those who haven't been keeping up, are basically on the same level of Mercedes and F1. They are that OP. But uh, yeah, it does not surprise me at all that Lopez did well there. I'm still expecting his Formula E career to to turn out in the end. 
um, because he's had to compete against very strong teammates, even with the OP Citroens and World Touring cars. So he he shouldn't be afraid to get his elbows up and get racing. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just still rooting for him because, you know, he's one of those good old USF1 alums. Hey, right. hey, oh. <laughs> yeah. Never I five, remember never that. Never forget. <laughs> oh, my God. Never forget. So, just to wrap up where the championship stands after two races, so this is basically rubbish, but it bears repeating. <laughs> Sebastian Buemi has a 22-point lead over Lucas Degrassi in second. Nico <laughs> Prost is third with 24 points. Felix Rosenquist fourth at 19. And Sam Bird, Bird up at fifth with 18 points. <laughs> so is this basically... Uh, is Formula E destined to become like like Buemi and Degrassi are basically their Cena Orton at this point? Is this Pretty what we're going much with this? At, at the trending rate, especially with Degrassi looking like he's going to commit to the series full time. I'm just very I'm just very sad that Renault Edams have shed the remnants of their Fiasar livery from the first two seasons. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially yeah. I, I miss that as well. More people need to base their liveries on wipeout games, damn it. I'm just waiting for the. I'm just DS waiting Virgin for the. Or- came close with their purple Kyrets livery, man. Oh, it was close. It was close. We just need an Oricom now. I'm, I'm hoping like I, someone like Faraday Future. They're named after Faraday. They should be about the purity of electric racing. That Oricom might be is Andretti. Oh, true. That might be Andretti. In all honesty. Yeah, that's 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 fair. That's fair. I'm just wondering what Especially about the- Especially since they are the American team and everything. It's true. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. But I mean, there are two American teams. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, Andretti and Faraday Future are the other one. Dragon Racing. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why uh, Elizabeth Worth, that's Dragon Racing, are like her team. Um, I'm yep, just trying to think like, now. Hey. I, yeah, now I'm, um, it's bugging me. What are the military team in Wipeout? Oh, gosh. Um, I know that Triacus had. Uh, is it Triacus? Mi- I think it is. Yes. There yeah. were one. They had like the camo livery yes, in some I, of the later yeah. games. That's the one I'm thinking of, Triacus. And I'm they just- were so freaking broke because and Wipeout Pure because of a glitch, a handling glitch with their thing. Like they were supposed to be just like this rubbish handling tank. And it turns out they were actually the most OP ship in the game. <laughs> We've devolved into full on Wipeout discussion. Yes, on we a have. Motorsport podcast taking place in 20. 20- 16. <laughs> to be fair, we are basically putting over Formula E as the real world's version of Wipeout, so that can't be a bad thing. Um, so is uh, that's about what we got out of Marrakesh. Pretty entertaining Go race watch overall. watch the highlights. This was good. I will. Yeah. I will. I just find it funny how we ended up talking for like 40 minutes odd on F1, and then a good race for Formula E is like 10 minutes. Sorry, yeah, Formula like, E. Th- th- this Marrakesh circuit was like... Uh, I would say a Formula One street circuit, but with like no runoff areas, which made it very intense when you see them go around the long turn, sweeping turn one corner into a corner. I mean, into an exit with no runoff area, just a wall there. And they're really just like, yeah, you're going to have to back up. You're going to have to back out. You're going to hit that wall. You're going to have to back out. You're going to hit that wall. And it's really like you're on the edge of your seat seeing which one. Like they're side by side and you're seeing which one is going to pull out or which one's going to get ahead. Yeah, like it really like when in, in world touring cars, it was a weird mix of I, I think for touring car racing, it didn't quite suit. Um, but I think for open wheel racing, based on what you're telling me, it sounds like it's a really good fit. Uh, and I'm looking forward yeah. to watching the highlights, honestly. Um, it sounds like it's been a pretty entertaining start of the season for Formula E. Uh, it's just a shame we've got to wait now, like the best part of three months for the next round. Oh, oh, God, <laughs> this again. 
Well, this again, we have to keep bringing it up because it happens like the first round was in October, the second round's now, the third round's in February, fourth round's in April, and then finally they get into May, May, June, July, July, and then they have loads of races in July. Like, do they just yeah, really so like much, summer or something? Yeah, so much for being a winter series. It seems <laughs> like they can't find places to race in the winter, mm. which can be an issue because if you want to race in the winter, it's pretty much you have to race in the southern hemisphere i don't know why they haven't found an australian race yet but they should oh i mean oh my god adelaide uh probably the adelaide the old adelaide street track they used to the clips of 500 is probably a bit too big for formula e isn't it although that will be fun put something in yeah. sydney that would be fun <gasps> especially around all the touristy locations man well uh the v8 supercars already have the sydney track at the sydney olympic park uh their their last race for supercars is this year maybe formula mm-hmm. e can replace no rules, just right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> just, just go for that trifecta. It's like, hey, we raced at the Olympic Park in Beijing. Um, why not go for another Olympic Park? And hey, then just... you could put one in the Atlanta Olympic Park, so then I won't have to travel anywhere for a race. <laughs> and then you could put one in the London Olympic Park, so we'll have a British round again. Hey! That doesn't piss off the residents too put much. One, and we could put one in the New York. Oh, wait, no, London took that. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin, I had Sochi nothing to do Olympic with that. Winter Park. No, damn it. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> so, yeah, like weird, weird gaps in the schedule, but we will be obviously covering. We've just got to wait a while now. At least I've got plenty of time to catch up, huh? And it sounds like yeah. I've got to do just that. So, uh, I mean, what's funny about this show is that last week, Dre and King were basically twiddling their thumbs going, well, we haven't got any racing to talk about. Did you watch the WEC? No, <laughs> that was the only racing. Okay. This weekend, all of our racing was happening, except IndyCar. Uh, they're off to hibernate for the winter. But we did have to complete the trifecta of main events. Yes, I'm pulling a WWE on this shit and claiming three matches of the main event. AKA it's... no main event. AKA <laughs> no main event at all. Um, yeah, we, we definitely got a lot of like Twitter hate saying that we should have had Formula E as the the main event of our triple main event. But nah, we decided to just pull rank at the last second and be like, nah, nah, you're getting you're getting what, what we're giving you. <laughs> because we're Motorsport McMahon. <laughs> That's my best Vince McMahon impression. <laughs> also, Kevin Dunn doesn't like Becky Lynch's accent. So RJ, you can get fucked. Ha <laughs> ha. God damn it. Anyway, we're, we're moving like on this. to those stupid idiots in leathers now on two wheels. It's called MotoGP or something. <laughs> I'm going to stop now. This is hurting my throat. event on tonight's show is the MotoGP season finale from Annie Valencia which fun fact our own um, friend of the show Zara Daniela was on the ground for that one working for Moto Matters uh, in the press rooms there seemed to be enjoying herself um, and providing some really good coverage out of it so props to one of us game recognized game and all that but uh, this was a it felt to me like a low-key end to the season, uh, particularly in, because, hey, the championships were decided in all three classes. Uh, it didn't translate to bad racing at all. I caught the MotoGP race. Uh, did you guys catch the support classes? Or should I say oh, Moto2 and 3? I, I am still trying to catch up on the support classes, but we cannot talk about uh, MotoGP at Valencia without first talking about Jorge Lorenzo's pole lap. 
this thing was ridiculous. Yeah, yes, you thought was... Lorenzo was a bit <clears> good <throat> before now. You thought. Psych, you thought Lorenzo was a bit good. He's more than a bit good, as this poll app suggests. This was, am I correct in saying, the fastest any motorcycle's ever gone round Valencia ever? Right, yes. It was It was absolutely nuts. I, he had an 89-second lap at Valencia, which, as um, Andre Harrison said yesterday in our Slack chat, um, that is absolutely unreal, the performance that he had. And he turned it into a victory in his last race for Yamaha after nine years. Jorge Lorenzo is getting that Audi money. Well, what Audi money Ducati has left at this point. <laughs> Off uh, the diesel gate, especially. But no, this was right. this was Lorenzo, like, Lorenzo being god tier on a weekend, especially at Valencia, is almost as predictable as the sun rising in the morning and Mercedes being OP. But even so, predictability does not necessarily mean to undermine or denigrate that achievement, King. And man, Lorenzo was too good. Again. Yeah, he was too good. Like, he he showed why he feels like, why he feels undeserving as the number two guy at Yamaha. Why he's going off to Ducati to, you know, pave new ground away from Valentino Rossi. Yeah, and like, it was good to see, like, Compared to last year, I found it hilarious because the BT Sport guys were on their top form on commentary again. They literally were like, well, last year was a bit of a shame how Lorenzo, you know, his championship win was, you know, like underplayed and lost in all the confuffle. Yeah, the confuffle and the controversy that you guys hyped up. The ones that you wouldn't stop banging on about. So don't give me that guff. But Lorenzo, I mean, the closest anyone got to him all weekend was actually Mark Marquez, who who rode a really good race for second. Uh, He was in fourth or fifth for most of the race, had a really good battle with uh, Rossi and Yanone in the first half of the race. But he was the only one of the top guys to go for a hard front tire. Everyone else went medium. And boy, did that thing come good near the end. He was chasing down Lorenzo at a rate of half a second a lap by the end. Had the thing gone about three more laps more, we'd have had an all out battle for the win. But Again, just getting within two seconds of Lorenzo on a race at Valencia, good enough. So Marquez concludes his championship winning season with a good run. And in something that I, I mean, for me, it just made me think, well, Lorenzo's got to be encouraged by this. A Ducati, the bike that Lorenzo's going to be riding next year, finished third in the hands of the yes. maniac, Andrea Iannone, who fought who off Rossi for the final his, podium spot. Also in his last race with Ducati before he goes and gets that Suzuki money. hey <laughs> Because <laughs> silly season in MotoGP has been quite something, but I tell you what, one of the highlights of this race because basically it was like uh, it was like that quote from the Olympics that I like that much. Uh, second place was first place for the mortals on this given day. So just assuming Lorenzo was somewhere off in the distance, being amazing, second place was where the battle really was at. And man, this was a good scrap. Like guys, that the Rossi Yanoni battle was su- supremely good. It was kind of like an old school battle, like in car racing, where you have two cars of very different spec. Yanoni's Ducati, as we know, is so powerful in a straight line and its acceleration out of the corners, its top speed is just mind-blowing. Uh, Rossi seemed to have the edge in the more technical areas around the rest of the track, but it seemed to even out as the race went on. It was like every both riders were figuring out each other. Rossi seemed to be getting a little bit more frustrated, but it was like, it was a good battle. It was like they traded blow for blow. It was really enjoyable to watch. Yeah. It was very enjoyable to watch and, oh, like... It, it it kind of 
it, it, it kind of makes me sad that MotoGP is also starting their offseason oh, now. Oh, man, especially after the year that this series had with nine different winners in the top class. Why is it that F1 I, had the longest season of all of them? Why? Oh, God, it's... Yeah, it really oh, is man. a case of the star that shines the brightest. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. IndyCar was the one that was over first. <laughs> Over around the same time it ended like 20 years ago, but who's counting? <laughs> well, true. <laughs> but, oh my uh, goodness. Um, one other note from the results of the top class race in amongst the DNFs is we got our first taste of KTM's top class effort. Mika Calio did not finish, but did run this weekend uh, kind of as a trial before KTM steps up full time to in 2017. So that was pretty interesting to see. Um, this will, of course, be the last race for a while for guys like Yanni Hernandez, who's stepping down to Moto2, for Eugene Laverty, who's going back to Superbikes. Um, and then you have a whole bunch of guys from Moto2 coming up, like Johan Sarko, who signed off his Moto2 career with a victory over Thomas Luthi in second and Franco Borbizelli in third in a race where he just broke away from the field, it looks like. Yeah, he was. it was one of those classic Moto2 races where one person has the advantage and goes for it. Um, I'm just thinking, by the way, just one more point on the um, the MotoGP race. Uh, was Yanoni the one who was injured for a bunch of races for Ducati and had to miss a bunch of them? Yes, he was. He, he was the one, so he made his... Yeah, so he made his comeback in this race. Unfortunately, so did uh, uh, Danny Pedrosa made his comeback in this race as well. Didn't go quite as well for him. He ended up beating it and retiring, uh, as did Crutchlow as well. So Loki ends the season for those two. But Davizioso, um, man, he was... Uh, sorry, Yanoni. Uh, yes, he missed uh, four races. He actually did compete in, in Malaysia, but retired there. Podium on his full property. Still beaten up. He's still suffering the effects. No need to call up the policeman, Michele Piero, this time. But just... It was a solid effort. This was good stuff. And I got to say, guys, this has got to be encouraging for Lorenzo moving over there. That that Ducati package, we all know it's a great top speed beast, but it's a race winning bike. And it seems to be getting that all round ground game as well. Oh, my goodness. I mean, and what a feather it would be in Lorenzo's cap. You know, his heated internal rivalry <laughs> with, with Rossi and Rossi couldn't even get Ducati to work in like the peak of his career. If Lorenzo can turn around Ducati, oh my goodness. <laughs> That'll be one of the biggest achievements of his career. We talked about this earlier in the in the season about how when Lorenzo was moving over there, you got to feel like he was doing it to, to escape the shadow of, of Rossi and make his own legacy to really mark himself on the sport. You know what I mean? It's almost like at this yeah. point, like Rosberg can win as many championships as Mercedes as he, he, he ends up doing. But it'll almost, you think if it goes a similar way, he'll, he'll end up having to go to a Ferrari or something to make his mark outside of Hamilton's shadow. So mm. to me, it's it's hard to tell. I guess we'll know a bit more once, we'll only know truthfully once the flag drops at the start of next season. But yeah, and there's indications like there all- that Lorenzo, Lorenzo has a chance to make that Ducati work, partly because Ducati themselves have finally started to step up. Right. And I believe 2017 preseason testing, like it starts tomorrow, doesn't it? Like, yeah, I know they yeah, start the test. God, yeah, it starts early. And just to wrap up Moto3 from Valencia, Ryan, your boy, Brad Bender, <laughs> signing off for charging his way from 22nd after a near high side early on in the race to win his last Moto3 race. Um, he finished ahead of Yoan Mir in second, Andrea Migno in third, 
And I want to point out Juan Fran Guevara insists because he may have had the save of the weekend over Valentino Rossi, where he nearly high sights it, has to drag his two feet on the bike just to keep upright. Yeah, and that was, somehow it still works. That was ridiculous. They have uploaded it as a GIF on the MotoGP Twitter account. I recommend you find it. It reminded me of that clip from Assen. I want to say uh, this year, or no, no, it would have been last year, where there was a bike literally, I want to say it was Yoni Hernandez, who nearly high-sided out of the final game and came across the line on his knees with the bike still going in a straight line. Like he was still Lord. holding off the bike. Like I think, was it Yoni Hernandez? Help me out here, guys. Oh God! I, We're I, know, I know John McPhee had a good one at uh, Germany that I thought was like the save of the year. But man, like was it Assen last year? I want to say it was. I definitely think it was Assen. We're, we're all desperately googling it now. <laughs> we're all just tack tacking away on our on our on our like mechanical keyboards, just researching our info in real time. We're doing real time research on this professional podcast that I nearly slept through. Oh yeah, <laughs> we are we are well prepared here, folks. This is what we do. Where is it? Where is it? We're just like googling, like please. oh, uh, Nikki Io. It was Nikki yeah, Io. I tell you what, yeah, Moto Three rider Nikki Io last year at uh, yeah, it was Assen. I got it right, but yeah, he yeah. literally comes across the line holding onto the bike with his knees basically scraping the deck. It was absolute insanity, <laughs> and he went on the grass for most of it as well. It was ridiculous, and he literally hit yeah. the wall as well. So yeah, um, if you if you want to win, hire a Finn. And if you want to save your bike from just sheer chaos at the finish line, well, you also hire a Finn. <laughs> or you hire one Frank Guevara by the look of it, because that was seriously good stuff as well. I recommend you go and watch that. So I think that I was just about to do it for MotoGP as well. Similar sort of thing to Formula E, I guess. Good racing and not a huge amount else to talk about, which is both a good and a bad thing. Uh, considering a lot of the time why the F1 segments go on is just we're just head in our hands bollocks um <laughs> like why why plus like we have to go digging through all the bollocks just to find the actual good racing that glimmers in beneath it's it's needle in a haystack stuff but solid stuff for moto gp if you did not catch it over the weekend definitely check it out i locked in for the moto gp race and i was not disappointed at all it was good stuff so let's charge headfirst just plowing headfirst straight in to the news and mailbag straight into the news we don't have much actual uh, breaking news for you but we do have a confirmation of a story that was talked about on last week's show we talked about indigo a little bit today and their silly season is starting to come together pretty quickly i mean last year the big story was the the, the podcast's unofficial boy connor daly confirmed next year for aj Foyt racing so danny brennan and lizzie worth can sleep uh, soundly at night Separately, where they, I'm just gonna stop that sentence now. You know what I mean. They, <laughs> oh, God. oh God, I've started rumors now, haven't I? Right. Anyway, Connor Daly fans are happy. Let's put it that way. And if if there's this, any, Ed, but God. this week Ed Jones is officially officially confirmed at Dale Coin Racing in the number 18 car. So a rare case of Dale Coin having both their drivers nailed down for a full season. For, for well in advance. <laughs> I know. That's this is this must be the first time since what 2012, I want to say. But they've had two full-time drivers. I want to say it was back when Justin Wilson, uh, the late Justin Wilson, was driving with the team. Goodness, Hang on, we're Googling yeah. again. 
<laughs> um, so a little bit about Ed Jones. Of course, he is your reigning Indy Lights champion. Um, Correct. Came from Formula Three two years ago. Um, has been pretty much by and large the Indy Light Series best two dri- best driver. Uh, top to bottom over the last two years, and it's good that he's getting a chance. I do just worry that he is going to suffer from what some drivers in the paddock of racing suffer from, and that is Andy Murray syndrome. For those who are not familiar with the uh, with the <laughs> affliction of Andy Murray syndrome, I'm Andy well Murray, top ra- top ranked tennis player, of course, um, praised as being the plucky British champion when he wins, and slagged as the struggling Scott when he loses. Ed Jones is uh, a British driver who was born in the United Arab Emirates. So if he does well, he'll be hailed as the great British champion of the series. And if he doesn't do well, which may happen with Dale Coyne Racing, he will be slagged off as a struggling driver from the Emirates. Just bringing that oil dirty, money, bro. That dirty Emirati. <laughs> yeah, just 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 like uh, Paul DeResta and Romain Grosjean suffer through pouts <laughs> through their careers. Pretty yes. much, yeah. Um, can I just point out, we were. It was. It was 2012. That was the last year they had two full-time drivers. Back then, it was Justin Wilson and James Jakes. Since then, they have not had. They've generally had the 18 car be a full-season uh, car. Well, except for 2015, where a grand total of one, two, three, four, five, six different drivers drove that car. Uh, this year, they had Connor Daly full-time in the 18, and he did some pretty decent things with it. Um, but the 19 has been the pay car this year. It had four different drivers this year. Felipe, Chavez, Ennison, and Pippa Mann. Most of those drivers were in contention for that ride as well. But going with Ed Jones, a nice combo there next year, King. This is looking good. I mean, their big marquee signing to kick off Silly Season was Bourdais moving over there. So they've got the experienced winner, one of the the greats of American open wheel racing uh, and the young rookie coming in. And rookies often find it tough in IndyCar. This is not a series where you come in and you're winning races in your first season. So... Bourdais, having Bourdais alongside him, that's got to be good to help Ed Jones make the transition up into the top class. Yes, one of the most experienced guys. Having one of the most experienced and decorated guys besides you in the garage is definitely uh, that's a bit of a big plus. Yes, yes, (laughs) that's a huge plus to have. I mean, this is generally the. I mean, the we'll have a full rundown of the IndyCar series as we go along as well once the grid is set, but. This has been a good, generally a pretty fun, silly season to have. There's been a lot going around, but the lineup for next year is looking just as good again. I mean, RJ, this is a good lineup so far for the roster for for IndyCar next year. It's it's been a talented lineup. There's not really that many that you can look at and go, really? What are they doing there? This is a a real solid lineup. Everyone's earned their place. I think everyone was worried that Connor Daly might slip off the radar again. Um, We've got the comeback story in J.R. Hildebrand, who... For the record, I really want him to actually win an Indy 500 so he's not yes. remembered as that guy who crashed on the final corner. Um, but, like, this is... It's a it's a stacked deck next year. The roster is looking really good. Yeah. At this point, the only unconfirmed seats are KV Racing, which we still don't know what that team is going to resemble next year. Mm. Um, Connor Daly and Carlos Munoz are subject to officially official confirmation, though they are heavily rumored, according to rumors from Motorsport.com. We don't know who's going to be taking the road course portion of Ed Carpenter Racing. I'm hoping it's Spencer Pickett. And then Mm. that just leaves the number eight of Chip Ganassi Racing, where the rumor is that Matt Chilton may retain it or they may give it to Puerto Rico's. Atlanta native Felix Sorales out of Indy Lights. Be giving Carlin two promotions out of Indy Lights into IndyCar if that happens, but that's still away from being decided and will largely come down to finances either way. That's Mm. a 
solid. Even grid. though there there is a rumor going around that that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan might enter a second car. Yes, and for yeah, and the for rumor ve- is for veteran for... presence, Oriel Servia. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that was kind of out of nowhere. And to be honest with you, I I haven't read too much into these rumors, but that makes sense because all along, um, we've said about how. Uh, Rahel Letterman Lanigan are only going to run a second car if it makes sense. And to me, that's always said, hey, if uh, if Big Daddy Rahal, Big Bobby Rahal, if he can find a driver who will be a good tail gunner and teammate to his son, he's going to have him in there. So to me, having Oriol Servia alongside, this is not to denigrate Servia at all, but Servia strikes me as a good experienced guy who could come in and contribute as a team player. So... These rumors. Servius had some good seasons. I remember in 2011 yeah. with Newman Haas, he was fantastic, and I didn't even watch yep. that year. I remember <laughs> when he got signed as a super sub at Newman Haas, and he just hit the ground running. He made Dale Coyne good in 04. <laughs> yeah, and like they were it's just in the drizzling shits at that point. Oh my god, yeah, they they were just all over the place, really. Um, I like the, I you know, I think. Serbia there could contribute well as a kind of team player. I'm thinking in like the Barrichello Massa mold. Do you know what I mean? Like a, they would be set up like a Ferrari. They'd have a very deliberate number one driver. We all know who that be. And they'd have the second driver there to be a team player to you. So you've got to have yep. someone in there you can trust who can run well in their own right, but also give support to the top guy. And, and if they go two cars, King, you know, Ray has been sniffing the top end of the championship. I don't think they'll be able to fully break the Penske Ganassi duopoly, but they'll be, they'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I have them, if I peg them as a two-car team, they'd be right alongside Smith-Peterson. Yeah, they'd be there, or they'd be right on that level. So this could potentially be a good move. Uh, chaps, is there any more breaking news you guys have heard since the last episode? We, mm, we had a lot of F1 silly season developments happen uh, during the Brazilian Grand yeah, Prix weekend. Yeah, a lot weekend. of people got signed, and a lot of people were not happy that they did not get signed. Oh, goodness. Yeah, also, <laughs> we forgot that in the F1 recap. segment. Right. So just to start off in a in sequential order of 2016 Constructors Championship standings, Esteban Ocon, 2014 FIA Formula 3 champion, 2015 GP3 Series champion, 2016 half season man racing driver is getting the bump up to Team Boys at Sahara Force India, keeping Team Boys alive for another year. He's going to become an honorary boy. I'm losing Nico Hulkenberg to Team King, but he's going to join Team Boys. Um, Haas signed Kevin Magnuson over the weekend in a Which made story that very happy. Right. Um, in place of Esteban Gutierrez, who was not happy about being signed and may have may not have taken his frustrations out on the team this weekend, particularly when he binned the car in the Brazilian Grand Prix. Oh, yeah, he crashed. So, that was a, that was a flashpoint there, wasn't there? Gunther Steiner oh, probably grabbed his arm. He was Gutierrez was not happy. He was furious. He binned it out there. And he probably felt like the team had kind of betrayed him a bit. Like this is standard practice for F1. But man, that guy. Like you get the feeling that that guy has has done about all he can to stay in that seat, and feels oh, like it's goodness. not his fault that he's being dropped. Yeah, so, the, the 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 poor luck is that when he's outperformed Romain Grosjean, it's been at the races where Haas are absolutely lost, and when Grosjean yeah. has done well, it's yeah, at you the want to talk about someone being unlucky? Forget Hamilton. It's Gutierrez in our estimation. So it's looking like Gutierrez is only chance to stay in F winners with Manor or or a second tour of duty with Sauber. Wow. Goodness. Which um, speaking at the moment, of go and speaking of second tours of duty, Jolly and Palmer has been re-signed as the tail gunner to Nico Hulkenberg. So we have 
scrappy British underdog plucky story, Julian Palmer, who immediately went out and bend the car in his first weekend since getting re-signed. Oops. That's a good look, guys. <laughs> and we all know who signed to the other one, King. Yes. You look after my boy yes. next year. Hulkenberg and Palmer next year, <laughs> even though uh, Palmer was pretty much the, what, fourth option after Red Bull wasn't going to let signs go. Or Kvyat. Perez, yeah, Kvyat couldn't go. Perez came uh, close, funnily enough. Perez said no. Uh, Magnuson left the team. <laughs> mm. Magnuson left the team to go to Haas, which some people are kind of questioning it, bolting from a factory team to a Ferrari customer team. I don't, uh, I, I kind of see where they're coming from. I think with Haas, um, the so, big attraction is that Ferrari link, isn't it? Yeah. That, that yeah, Ferrari even, link. Even though, even though next year, because there's no restrictions on engine development, Renault are scrapping their current engine and making a new engine. Welp. Oh, yeah. goodness. So it could be so, a disaster. It could be amazing. Yeah, it could be amazing because effectively they get free reign to copy whatever works well okay put, put a tenor on nico hulkenberg to be a title to win races in 2017 <laughs> oh my and god also the then put a, a tender on jolian palmer to start winning races which will get more credit because jolian palmer is british he will be the next god johnny save herbert our gracious palmer uh yeah <laughs> i mean that'll be like you don't know as a hulk mark who hates people reminding me that he's never even got a podium that would be pretty special. <laughs> that would be pretty big. Um, but uh, either way, some interesting silly season developments. What else was there? I mean, the rest of it seemed pretty set, didn't it? There was not really that much right. change. Yeah, I all, think we, all we've got left is like the two seats at Manor and potentially the two seats at Sauber that are left up for grabs. Yeah. Which, to be honest with you, I think will all come down to which one finishes 10th in the constructors, won't it? Yeah, and apparently Pascal Verline was not happy that he was... Like when I when I mentioned someone was not happy they did not get signed. I was mentioning Pascal Verlain. He was not happy that he got snubbed for India, and apparently one of the reasons he didn't get signed is that because both of them had tests before. Everyone at Force India knew both the drivers, and apparently the mechanics of the team, the mechanics and a lot of the staff preferred Ocon to Verlain. Yeah, it's not that it comes- Ver- it's not that Verlain is a terrible driver. Verlain no, has been pre- really amazing. The problem is that Ocon has a much higher ceiling. Yeah, and the thing is, they also it was also a team chemistry thing that they just that apparently Verline has a reputation of being difficult to work with. Yeah, that was established in DTM, which I thought was kind of rubbish, especially how he got on with Manor at the early part of the season. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, I, <laughs> like, I think, like I, it's, it's at first I questioned it when it was just DTM, but now when people at Force India back that he's difficult to work with, you kind of start to, they already put some... up with enough of Paul DeResta. Yeah. <laughs> Damn son. That struggling Scott. Yeah, man, who's now the wet weather expert on Sky F1. <laughs> that was hilarious. But yeah, that's about it. I think, honestly, whoever Sauber and Mana pick will have to be, it'll be like a sliding scale of who brings the most money. And I think it'll come down to who finishes 10th. Who finishes 10th will have a little bit more leeway. Whoever finishes 11th will probably need someone to bring some checks. Ricardo Galeo, please pay for Antonio Giovinazzi's F1 promotion. Please, God. Even though- Andre, that is so sinister in my speakers, man. In my headphones. (laughs) 
Even though Sabra does have a little wiggle room with new investors. That is true. And in fact, uh, we didn't mention this earlier. Uh, Ruth Boscombe, uh, the new strategist yes. over there, had tipped to her because I think this was that, sh- that um, strategy call that got Nasa the, the, the points has to be on her shoulders to a degree. Same, I mean, as the, same as Haas's strategy when she was part of that team just earlier in the year and helping Haas score points in the first two races. She may well be the best signing they made all year. Forget the drivers. She may well be the, the MVP of that team by the end of the year. If it, if it puts them in 10th place and gets the money, yep. that's pretty major. Hopefully, hopefully the same issues at Haas don't crop up. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. Let's hope yeah. not, shall we? Um, like... Uh, it's 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 weird. I don't want to get into it on the show, but yeah, the reason why she left was like really strange. <laughs> it was it's a weird story for another time. Speaking uh, of weird stories, what do we have in today's <laughs> mailbag? <laughs> Thank you, RJ, for a perfect segue. That was really nice. Um, so we we have the lo- usual stacked um mailbox as well, mostly on Twitter as well. This is really good. I love the fact that you guys get in touch with so much shit uh, in the mail no good stuff to be honest with you luckily the uh, the fuck marry kill memes have gone away for a little while um but blow is still going strong whether we want it to or not Blow. yes unfortunately but uh let's kick off with longtime friend of the show marcus whore who is probably at the moment mourning uh, his beloved charlton athletic sacking yet another manager while still having the most incompetent owners in football history um so whilst he's in the middle of that he has tweeted a question for me so we'll start off a question for me. It feels like uh, at Christmas where somebody's like, oh, here you go. We'll start off with a present for you. Uh, actually, you guys can get involved in this as well, depending on your knowledge of the okay. series. Um, you're building a team, a, a dream tin top squad from the British Touring Car Championship, DTM and V8 Supercars. Pick a three-man squad. Shane Van Gisbergen. That goes without saying. Um, I, it's funny because DTM, I almost consider completely different to the other two. I almost don't consider it yeah. a touring car series. It's almost a glorified open wheel or GT series, but it's almost like a sprint super GT series. It basically is. It, but it, without all the fun sp- bits. Yeah. <laughs> True. It's it's basically the perfect combat. Uh, the perfect. Uh, it's like an anti. It. It's like an antiseptic version of GT five hundred, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty it's, much. It's, yeah, it's the German GT five hundred. <laughs> pretty much. So, um, yeah, my dream. I, I'm assuming we go with one from each. For the the sake of balance, I suppose. Um, this is my thinking noise. This is the noise of all the gears going around in my head. Um, I'd go Edo Motara, Motara for my second. I know he wasn't the champ this year, but he's a he's a hard charger, and I like that in my team. He'll make a good teammate, Shane Van Gisbergen, and for the British Touring Cars, uh, Colin Turkington. Colin Turkington, honestly, I think has been probably uh, the obvious pick would probably be Gordon Shedden, who I honestly think is the best of this era. But I think Colin Turkington is the best. Uh, he's the sort of like he did the Lord's work with the Subaru this year and was as high as third in the championship going into the very last race. Like if anyone was going to pull off the shock of the season for Subaru, a team whose cars were not scoring points until round four and actually sat out round three because they spontaneously caught fire. Like, Damn. Turkington, to get that much out of it was just incredible. So my three are Van Gisbergen, Mortara, and Turkington. What about you guys? I may pass, I, on, I, I may pass on this one because I can't put Paul Morris into all three spots. How <laughs> <laughs> I, I, about Paul do Morris it. and Chaz Mostert? He's probably saying. Okay. 
Because of, because of my lack of BTCC knowledge, I'm <laughs> just going to pick Jason Plato just for the love. <laughs> Fifth gear star, Jason Plato. <laughs> if you're prepared to put up with his promos dissing you every race, then go for it. Okay, DTM, I'm going to pick uh, Marto Wittman. Yeah, that's the obvious one, Marco I guess. Marco Wittman, two titles in the last three years, by the way. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I, People will be just listening to my be like, Johnson, do you have a, a thing for just not picking the obvious choice? Because going back to the draft, it was like, you have the choice to pick Lewis Hamilton. Well, I wasn't planning on it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you weren't? Well... I prefer entertainment. What can I say? And you'll find a pick. Supercars. Oh, God. Uh, Jamie Wincup. I was, you, you can't not. If you do, like, <laughs> he's probably the greatest of all time, as much as I say that through gritted teeth. What is it about Red Bull drivers being really good and me not liking them? I don't know. <laughs> same, same thing. Like, I was like, oh, I, now you see the quandary. So, so the fact that Van Gisbergen so went there this year. You're off the Shane Van Gisbergen bandwagon now. No, is that it? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying my boys have got to stop signing with, like, the, the, the like, dark side of the force in any given series. New Gun's doing it to me now. I'm assuming probably the most likely next one will be Larson going to, like, Penske or something. I don't know. Um, but there's hey, your picks right seats still open. <laughs> They're gonna, you can just swap series and stay with the same team. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that, no, that's true, actually. <laughs> um, so there's Marcus's question uh, answered. Um, who said Romo? It's everyone's favorite proponent of robots. Um, he has two for us. Why are the wrecks more realistic in Toka Race Driver 3 than in many newer games? Guys, have you guys played Toka Race Driver 3? Or shall I just take this one? Mm, you I could take say- this one. <laughs> All right, I have obsessively played Toka Race Driver 3. It's a really great game. Um, I can't tell you what. It's just a really good, fun, like, Simcade racer. It's like, if anyone played Grid Autosport, this was basically the PS2 version, and it's so yeah. good. And it also gets bonus points for having the ability to have full-length V8 supercar races. That includes a full-length Bathurst 1000, which me and my friend, who are both V8 supercar mad, are planning to do as a co-op live stream at one point. <laughs> um, he uh, Romo also has another question. Uh, would you rather buy a Tesla Model 3 or a Ford Model T? Uh, the Tesla by far. I want that air yeah. conditioning. I want those modern amenities. God damn I mean, it. if I have to use it every day, then the Model 3, because as we found out in Grand Chesma 4, a Model T stalls at a small hill. But if yes. it's just to sit in the garage and look at, then the Model T, man. Like, that's like Genesis right there. No, not Genesis. Um, what's the, the book of creation? Yeah, that. It's that thing. Yes, Genesis. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's the thing. <laughs> Away from religion now, I'm just going to offend everybody. Um, oh, Nor the Dragon was just tweeting about my pipe bomb from earlier. Well, you'd have heard it by now. Brian Shadowwolf, who's uh, getting a lot more involved in the mailbox, we like that. With Ocon going to Force India, who is more likely to take his now vacancy at Manor? Uh, he provides some suggestions. Pierre Gasly, Nazar, Harianto again, or anyone from the lower ranks? No. Uh, if... if- if it's going to be someone not in the Mercedes driver Academy, they're going to have to bring a lot of money. And I don't think <laughs> yeah. Pierre, Ga- I don't think Gasly's has the funding to get that. Vanderson. Yeah. Without Red Bull, he's kind of at a loss. I know that Rosenquist would make sense since he is also a Mercedes Benz protege, but I don't think he's going to get it. Unfortunately, I would love to see it go to Antonio Giovinazzi, but the Galeo family may not have enough money to pay his way up to it either. So my default response would just be to small town American boy with a dream, Rio Harianto. <laughs> 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 Gotta get that crowdfunder working again. 
Just yeah, just like, donate three times a day and make it like medicine. Uh, this, is th- this is not the most wasteful form of government spending in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Does someone, I mean, both their drivers from last year have kind of gone on to different things now. I don't know if Will Stevens has the money for an F1 comeback, does he? Nah, he maybe no. I don't know. No, plus he's found a much better gig in sports cars anyway. Just yeah, I was let the say. man be successful. Same with Roberto Mary. Same with Alexander Rossi, y'all. Jordan King may <laughs> not get it. I don't know. Maybe Jordan King could pay for it since yeah, he has probably been part Jordan of Mander- King. Jordan, yeah, Jordan King's a good shout. Now you mentioned about that. I mean, he um, is a British Formula Three champion, just like Ayrton Senna. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the guy who Max Verstappen's going to be battling for the first of his ten titles. Um. So lucky British now? underdog Jordan King. <laughs> of course, yep. Verlaine and King. The person, like anytime Jordan King does anything, I get tweeted just, like, "Oh, <laughs> yes!" You just get delusion tweets. It's hilarious. Um. Anyway, we have we have one from Luke Frost. Um. I haven't seen you post a question before, Luke. If this is your first one, welcome. Uh. He goes for MotoGP. Who replaces Valentino Rossi at Yamaha when he retires? Don't. I, I I have no clue. I just assume Presumably someone just, from the VR forty six Academy if they're experienced enough, but I don't think there's anyone even close to the top class there, is it? Yeah, I God. just assume he's there for life. I just assume he's there for yeah, life. Yeah, like, we don't we have no idea when he will even retire. Rossi's retirement could be in twenty eighteen or it could be in twenty twenty eight. So it really just depends, honestly, on who his replacement's going to be. Yeah, like, honestly, I don't think Rossi's going to retire until he's found a successor. Yeah, he will groom a successor and then retire. And and basically, he gets to dictate the play at Yamaha. That team is built around him at this point, even though Lorenzo's been the more successful driver, the uh, rider, the um, well, last season anyway. But... Yes. uh that's a kind of difficult question to answer just because we don't know when Rossi's going to retire. It could be anyone. It could be Brad Binder at this point. We don't know how long. <laughs> like, not to denigrate your boy, King. I'm just saying, like, he's yeah. just won Moto3. It may be by the time he's gone up to Moto1 and, you know, done all the things that Rossi actually retires. We have no idea. Um, NASCAR dude 183 Do you want to guess what question, what series he's asking about? NASCAR? Ding, Arca. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Arca, Arca, yeah. That Arca championship, man. Um, Picks for the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series champion, uh, champion. Also, thoughts on Tony Stewart's career. So it's two and one there. Now, the first one we have to address at Phoenix this past weekend, they had their last eliminator race. And it was the usual shenanigans that you'd expect, Rex and Carnage, and people are out, then in, then out, then in, then in, out, in, out, shake it all about. You do the hokey cokey and turn around. Uh, but the final four, it comes down to Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson going for championship number seven. Uh, Kyle Busch going for back-to-back championships after winning last year, having missed a third of the season because, you know, NASCAR. And uh, Joey Logano, who won the race on uh, on Sunday. So those are your four to pick from. I will start and I'll say my heart wants Jimmy Johnson to get title number seven because every time he wins a championship at this point, you, I can just imagine Brian France gnashing a pencil to death at his desk. Boom, confetti. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> Boom, I've broken another version of your chase. Um, so I'd love that to happen. But honestly, I don't know. I can't, I can't look beyond. I think Joey Legado gets his first one. I think last I've- year he was, he was on form to maybe do it until he got caught up in the, in the Kenseth shenanigans, which were mainly his own doing. But I think this year is the one he goes all the way. What do you reckon? Mm, it's so I'm hard because this with... chase is, is basically such a crapshoot. Anything can happen on any given day. And like in the playoffs, it's like an engine failure happens. Oh, but playoffs in other series, you know, you, a team can go unbeaten through the regular season, then losing the playoffs. Yeah, but the equivalent of an engine failure in NASCAR 
is like walking out onto an NFL pitch and having your entire team just have heart attacks immediately. And then the other yeah, teams that, be like, well, we have no team to play against. It would literally be like the FA Cup finals next week. Oh, Munich happened again for Manchester United. Oh, <laughs> like that would be the equivalent. Like That's there, basically it. Yeah. Um, I'm going with um, just the, the quick glance of the stats and somebody that I would like to see win a title because they've been kind of due. Most wins at Miami among the drivers in the chase, top average finish and the top driver rating, which is kind of a silly stat. But it's Carl Edwards. Carl yeah. Edwards of Joe Gibbs Racing. He is mate after 2011. I think he he is he is owed a title after 2011. Yes, I want to see a backflip. God damn it! Oh my god, yeah, that would be the most epic black uh, back backflip of his career. I'll get those words out. It would be. King? It would just be like a moonsault from the rafters. Oh my god, yeah. It would be like RVD level. It'd be amazing. King. Oh god. Uh, yeah. Between for me, it's between Jimmy. Or Edwards, me being a Hendrick fanboy, I'm going to go with Jimmy. <laughs> so that's two of us who want Jimmy Johnson to win. That's that's yeah. the interesting thing. I'm um, over the bulk of my Jimmy Johnson hate, so I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all come around to the point of like, no, actually, it's like when Sebastian Vettel went to Ferrari. Like, it's like, oh, we start liking Vettel again now. And Dre's just sat there like, you motherfuckers. Um, uh, thoughts on Tony Stewart's career? It's coming to an end next weekend at Homestead. Oh. Really Gosh. good career. I mean, let's not even not even taking into account his open wheel career in the nineties. Um, yeah. A game changer, a modern day AJ Foy. I mean, that was his inspiration, his idol. That's why he runs car number fourteen. Probably yeah. did his career go on for a few years too long. Maybe, yes, but hey, it absolutely did. After the back injury, he never really got around to the Gen Six cars. There was, of course, that awful thing that happened with him and Kevin oh, Ward. God, yeah. I don't think his career ever properly recovered after that. You, you could just tell his heart wasn't there. And obviously, he's becoming more and more of a team owner now. He's transitioning more and more into becoming a full-on team owner. He's, he, he now feels like... I mean, he's not enjoying his racing anymore. He admitted it earlier this year. He's just doing it for the sake of it. So why? He can afford just to transition into a team owner. Remember the good times. It's not as bad a career spiral as Daryl Waltrip had in his last few years oh, no, of comp no, competition. No. Like even Daryl oh. Waltrip admits that he was in the doldrums by the end. Like, Oh my goodness. Have you seen his interview when he subbed for Steve Park for a little while in 1998 at DEI? Oh my God. Yeah. He was so happy just to get like a top five. <laughs> he nearly won Pocono and afterwards he was in tears. Like genuinely, he was like, "I'm like, he, it's one of the best babyface promos you've ever seen." And he's all like, "A and lot of people threw dirt similar, on me. I'm crawling out yeah. from a big hole right now." We saw a similar moment when Tony Stewart won at Sonoma on the on basically the last quarter, the last lap. Uh, Hollywood, so we, pure Hollywood. Yeah, yeah I gosh, um, magic. And there's Stewart's, that from this season. That's so cool. Yeah, Stewart's always been like one of my long term favorite drivers, especially I liked his him from the ever since. Like when I started watching in 01, I always kind of liked him back then. And I saw his first championship back in 2002. That was a great year. And then, you know, he's actually won in three different, three, hang on. Yeah. Three different iterations of the championship. He's won in the regular season, the first iteration of the chase in 05. And then the second, the kind of modic, the chase version 1.1 in 2011. Yeah. Yeah, He's won in different, he's won in different kind of cars. He's, he's, he was, a USAC kind of triple, he was a yeah. USAC triple champion in the, in 1995. Um, Tony George, for better or for worse, I would say for worse, basically built a whole series to keep him going from that from going to NASCAR, which ultimately did didn't anyway. work out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like to me, I would lump 
him in with Jeff Gordon as one of those late 90s American talents that single-seater racing just lost. Yeah, that is a... Uh, 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 their loss was NASCAR's gain long term. I think yeah. he's been a great personality. He's been one of those huge characters that the series kind of needs, let's be honest. He's been the heel at times. He's been the baby, the rugged baby face at times. Been a fun career, man. We're going to admit there's, there's not going to be someone quite like him for a while, really. Um, just, one, just, kind don't of old tweet, just don't tweet about Colin Kaepernick again, dude. Oh, no. No, that's <laughs> just, can we just not do that? Uh, and finally, and finally, the final question. Drum roll, please. Okay, no one. Um, <laughs> comes in from uh, Henry Chapman. That's uh, chap, at chaphen17. What uh, Now, this is quite an interesting one because I have an answer for this one. I've thought about this before. What track on the MotoGP calendar that isn't already in F1 would you put on the F1 calendar? And I'm going to say my answer straight away. I've advocated this as a replacement for Monza before. Mugello. Aragon is a, a, a replacement to Barcelona, which may or may not <gasps> yeah. happen. That's, that's yeah. another because, call I've made. Because like, if Barcelona is like the ultimate party city, so even if the race is shit, you still have so many other things to do around it. Yeah. Yes. Like, that's the thing. Like, man, I'll be real with you. Like, Catalonia, oh my God. When was the last time it produced a half-decent race? Arguably this year, but even then. 2012. Like, I don't even remember could, that race. You could, ar- you could argue that Catalonia you've, is only... You've chosen to forget the 2012 <laughs> Spanish Grand yeah. Prix when Paul Sitter, Pastor Maldonado, <laughs> held on Fernando Alonso oh, and won one. his first oh, Spanish yeah, Grand Prix. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember then, now. And then saved his little nephew from the blazing inferno that was his finger <laughs> up. <laughs> What When's if the I Maldonado told- documentary coming out, guys? Oh my god, I am so I'm going to direct the Maldonado 30 for 30 on ESPN. It needs to happen. What if, what if I told you a Venezuelan driver won his only race and then saved his nephew from a fire within 24 hours? This is ESPN 30 for 30. Next up, the failed XFL. <laughs> But no, actually, I'm still you mentioned Aragon. I'm down for that. I, that was my yeah, other Aragon thought would as, be a, great. as a replacement for Catalonia. But my first pick was Mugello as a replacement for Monza. Yeah, it'd be Dirty Air City, but you know what? Most tracks are like that these days, and it's a fun layout. It's a fun track. The drivers would enjoy it. So there's that. I have a feeling it'll end up being a bit like Magyar Nagdij. Um, since, since RJ, you your choice. Picked, oh, no, hang on. Who no, didn't make yeah, the choice? No, it's my choice. Oh. Like, oh, God, I think I would have to pick Montegi since you guys picked the two better choices. I have to pick <laughs> ring once. <laughs> You're just like, damn it, I'm left with the swap of thirds. <laughs> I don't know, man. Suzuka's like, Suzuka's still great. Yeah, would, Suzuka's still great. Like, I would, if I had to add Montegi on, it would be as a second Japanese Grand Prix. Just yes, have it as the Asian Pacific Grand Prix. Grand Prix. Pacific Grand Prix, yes. <laughs> There we go. We got it. We've got it. We've got it. We're just we're just banging right now. So there's your answer to that. And there, I think, gents, would be our conclusion to this podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that uh, I, I'm not going to say anything about the fact it nearly didn't exist because we're still not finished recording. Um, <laughs> it's been an emotional one, guys. And I feel better. I, f- I feel like we've talked out a lot yeah. of how the uh, the Rosberg deserving it mill is bollocks. 
And we, just, we gave you a new series to watch over the off season and to follow yes, into 2017. Because all of Super GT 2016 yes, is uploaded yes, on YouTube. Am I right? Well, the yes, TV all, in some form, it, the first, the sits out of the last eight races are on YouTube on Nismo TV. They missed the first two. But if you go looking around through YouTube, you may see something to may see a version of the Fuji 500 kilometers that I may or may not have commentated by myself. Ooh. Oh, that is fun. Now I remember talking, was it you I spoke to on Reddit about helping yes. out do English? It was you. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful, I, I, I was talking with you the other week. I'm like, you it, hook, line, <laughs> and sinker. It's me, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, go watch Super GT over the off season. If you're yearning for something to watch next week, we'll be back. Ryan King will either be in tears or running around his room celebrating and flipping off the entire world I, actually, motorsport media. I checked it. This is actually like the first season in a long time where um, Abu Dhabi is not actually back-to-back -back with the Brazil, so we have a two-week wait. Oh, we do have a week break. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. We can build ourselves up for a... Uh, oh, for we can probably weekend. say goodbye to Audi because their last race is next week. Yep. Yep. We, Who's going to watch that six hours of Bahrain? <laughs> Oh, he's we're gonna at least see, we're gonna at least see like the last hour of Audi's uh, WEC tenure. I think we all yeah. are. We owe it to ourselves. We <laughs> owe it to Audi. They paid for this. Maybe, maybe, yeah. So we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Dre will be back. He won't be imprisoned in William Hill Hell. William Hell. I don't know. Uh, we're living in pun purgatory right now. But uh, until next time. You can lock into us on, on the social medias, uh, on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. There is also the motorsport 101 website, motorsport101.net. Have I got that right? Yes. Yes, it is .net, because I know it wasn't just straight.com. Motorsport101.net is your home for everything to do with the podcast. You can find all the places you can subscribe to us to get the audio episodes delivered to your inbox podcast app of choice every week be it soundcloud itunes stitcher tune in the xbox podcast app all of them there is no excuse to miss this show every week basically and if you're on patreon if you fancy supporting us on patreon that's patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 we have a lot of perks and cool shit over there as well but remember as long as you're sharing this thing around and talking about it online and getting as many people to join the circus that is motorsport 101 you're doing everything we'd want to before and one final tip we kind of avoided talking about it on the show. And the one thing I will mention, because I've just seen it on Twitter, if you see any horrific racist graffiti around in the result of that thing that happened last week, because there's been some pictures of swastikas being graffitied everywhere, I've just seen on Twitter, turn it into a Windows 95 logo. That's how to troll the system in a creative way. And with that, I'm signing off. It's me, Adam Johnson, from Ryan King over there, and from RJ O'Connell, once again, the super sub from The Rising Sun, well, actually, it's not from the Rising Sun, but you know what I mean. Our Super GT and Super Formula expert, RJ O'Connell, stepping in once again. And it's goodbye from all of us. We'll see you next time. Sayonara. Bye. <laughs>